Generation Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears, my co-host Christopher Dean. Looks like rain. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix, as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Weather wars weaponizing the elemental kingdoms. Are natural disasters the result of changing weather or are the elemental shifts that we see today being propagated by allegiances to dark spirits? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Ladies, gentlemen, tree huggers, and science deniers, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we try earnestly to take you beyond conspiracy theories and get you right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, listen, I've heard a couple of y'all out there. You've been talking about these last few episodes. You're saying to yourself, hey, these guys is hitting it. They talking about stuff near and dear to my heart. I need them to stay on track. And then you went and you read this title to this episode and you said, what in the world are they talking about when it comes to weather wars? Had they lost their marbles? Do they have their heads in the clouds? Are they wrapped tightly with tin foil? I'm here to tell you, yes, yes, and all the above, yes. And that's okay, because we need you to keep an open mind. We've got some things to discuss that's going to blow your mind, and we're trying to keep it all together so you can appreciate the subtle value of what we've put together for you in this episode. Now, see, we need to get into some fringe topics. We've got to discuss whether or not, no pun intended, whether manipulation is a real thing, or is it a fringe idea of the conspiratorially insane? We need to discuss are the parasitic elite consolidating their control over natural resources like water and land. And we need to discuss if the parasite class is setting fire to land in order to gain control. We got a lot more to sprinkle in there for you. So I'm going to need you to do as Samuel Jackson says and hold on to your butts. But before we get into all that holding, I need you to do what you do best. I need you to help me get my co-host from out in the field. He's been working with NOAA. That's the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. He's been working with other clandestine organizations to get access to key government documents in order to procure information that he can put into these notes so that we can get it to you most Ricky Tick. And now we need him in the studio. And he has somehow got accustomed to the only way he can pull himself away from doing all of this research is when he hears the call. So, ladies, as you well do every week, please help me welcome my co-host, Mr. Christopher Adam Dean. How's it going, bro? Oh, man, I'm doing pretty good, baby. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How's this week been for you? Uh, Good, good. This, this episode was so much fun to do research on. It was, it was a little bit mind-blowing and a little bit of a paradigm shift for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I loved it. You don't have that with the other episodes we do? Um, 
it depends. Some of the episodes, some of them, it reinforces ideas. Uh, but this one just like opened Pandora's box, for lack of a better term, in regards to, you know, this elemental warfare or this weather wars that we're going to get into. No, I mean, that actually makes perfect sense. And I have found myself going through the same thing from time to time, depending on our episode. But having said that, bro, let's talk weather wars. like we've seen a surge of natural disasters this year you know we've had the canadian wildfires earthquakes we got massive flooding in new york city the wildfires i remember walking outside and smelling what it was seemed like campfire and i live in the Mm -hmm. city and i'm like why am i smelling campfire (laughs) i try to do my best to keep myself away from nature (laughs) And I'm, I, I'm not feeling well about this. I remember looking into the sky and just kind of seeing this haze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It lasted, I think, for like two or three weeks. Oh, it was bad. It was real bad. It was. And I remember looking up and, and, and trying to figure out what all was going on, find out this was smoke that was coming in from outside of our borders, man. This was international smoke. You know, my delicate lungs is used to just American pollution. I, I ain't used to this Canadian level. <laughs> Right, it's a little different, huh? It was, and that stuff lingered <laughs> for a while. And then, you know, right after that, we, we we've had some earthquakes, we've had some massive flooding going on. I mean, New York City right now is being hit with record-breaking rainfall. They've mm-hmm. had their subways flooded. I mean, stuff almost looks like a hurricane came through. Which I remember, I think about, I don't know, maybe five years ago, so ago, maybe a little more than that, when they got that hurricane that came through and flooded everything. Okay. Like, man, this is insane. I mean, I saw pictures of people on buses with their feet up on the the seats. Buses are going through the streets. They got the door open. Water's going in the bus, out the back door. I'm like, yo, this is wild. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Not to mention, bro, the suspicious events that we've seen also this year, like the fires in Maui and in Greece. Right. Right. It, it's caused me to reconsider what I think I quote unquote know about the weather. Right. Okay. And I found myself asking the question that we introduced earlier. You know, are natural disasters solely the result of the laws of physics being applied to the mechanics of weather? You know, we're dealing with things like, you know, solar storms, El Nino, La Nina, melting polar ice caps, <laughs> you know, this climate change fiasco, plate tectonics. You know, Newtonian chaos. But it, it, it pushes this question, you know, are, are there spiritual forces that are being summoned and utilized in order to produce spiritual outcomes through natural disasters? And I know that probably sounds like a, a crazy preposterous idea, but I'm hoping that people who are listening to us, number one, I hope realize that we don't just jump out to the edge. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. just over there trying to believe every crazy idea. We do try to do our research and we try to be reasonable, right? But we try Uh to be reasonable through a biblical lens, not through an anti-biblical lens. Right. Starting first with the understanding that the supernatural exists and that the natural order is subjected to the supernatural. 
-hmm. So things might be a little different than how we've been taught or how we may assume things to be. And so I'm hoping that they take that into account. They do what scripture says, keep an open mind, and then go back, do your own research and see if there's any truth to what we're talking about. Yeah. As opposed to just dismissing everything from the get-go because it's just too wild. Right. So I think we got to talk about this, man. We got to get into it. No, we do. Absolutely. And I think we should start this conversation with with the big one, weather manipulation. Oh, I hear the sirens going off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one reason is because I actually have to get something off of my chest. But the other is because the other elements uh, that we're going to discuss actually tie back to this topic a little bit. Okay. So first, my issue is, you know, those of us concerned about weather manipulation have been labeled conspiracy theorists and been made the laughing stock of those that, quote unquote, trust the science, right? Exactly. And it wasn't until China released information that they had expanded their weather manipulation projects in conjunction with Dubai saying that they were using drones to manipulate the weather and prevent wildfires. Then all of the sudden... This, this was mainstream. Of course we could do it. And we've always been able to do it. it it's insane. If, if, even if you look on Wikipedia, you know, which is like the most um, filtered source of information, right? Okay. It's got, good, it's, it's got good information, but all of it is filtered through the mainstream narrative, right? Like you're not going to find any of the dirty details. Right. It says that weather manipulation is used in a variety of drought-prone countries, including the United States, China, India, and Russia. In China, there is a perceptive, perceptive dependency upon dry regions, and there is strong suspicion it is used to wash the air in dry and heavily polluted places, such as the Rocky Mountains and Sierra Nevada. So how did we go from it doesn't exist to now we're dependent on it? That's a fair question. Yeah, it, it, it bugs me. And I think this alone should alert us to the level of psychological influence that the parasite class has over the masses. I agree. It should also be used as ammo for the things that they say are crazy and conspiratorial now. Like for things that we bring, oh, no, that's impossible. There's no way, you know, that that's going to happen. Because uh, it, it reminds me, I saw a, um, a social media post. A few times. I couldn't find it for this particular episode. It says the difference between conspiracy theory and the truth is about six to 12 months. Right? <laughs> Ain't that the truth, though? Yeah, it really is. It's alarming. And uh, I know you don't like it. It's not your favorite book, but it reminds me of George Orwell's 1984. <sighs> <laughs> but specifically, I, I found this, this uh, section of the book. So let me read it to you. And it's, it's crazy. So it says, at this moment, for example, in 1984, if it was 1984, Oceania was at war with Eurasia and in alliance with East Asia. And no public or private utterance was it ever admitted that the three powers had at any time been grouped along different lines. Actually, as Winston, who's the, the main protagonist of the book, he says, as Winston well knew, it was only four years since Oceania had been at war with East Asia and in alliance with Eurasia. But that was merely a piece of furtive knowledge, which he happened to possess because his memory was not satisfactorily under control. Officially, the change of partners had never happened. Oceania was at war with Eurasia. Therefore, Oceania had always been at war with Eurasia. The enemy of the moment always represented absolute evil, and it followed that any past or future agreement with him was impossible. Interesting. 
And that's kind of this, you know, weather manipulation could never happen until all of a sudden, now there's no record of the narrative changing. There's nobody coming out and admitting, you know, yeah, we lied about it here, but we're kind of doing it now. It just all of a sudden, it's a thing that the mainstream narrative says is normal and we're dependent on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, quick, quick side tangent, if you will allow me the liberty. This is a, a type of mentality that is a telltale sign of immaturity. What do you mean? So thinking with our emotions actually creates or has a tendency to create a constant state of infinitude. So whatever the current emotional state is, it has always been that way and will always continue. And anybody that's angry can can kind of relate to that. You know, there's never a, I'm going to be angry until five o'clock type of mentality, you know? Okay. So, so, so for instance, uh, aside from anger, if you feel lonely or unheard, it's difficult to remember a time when you weren't lonely or felt unheard. And it also seems impossible that there will ever come a time that it'll happen. Why are you, why are you laughing? Thinking through puberty. I'm thinking there were certain emotions (laughs) that I hit. And they're never, I couldn't imagine a time without them or that it would come a, a position where those, uh, those emotions would no longer be with me. Right. They were very right. intense right in the moment. <laughs> right. But it's immaturity that doesn't put those in a box. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it seems as though the powers that be manufacture the state of immaturity or empty self and use it to propagate the acceptance of their agendas, just like they have with weather manipulation. All right, now you just ran over a big term that I don't think, you know, a lot of people listening to us would readily know. What do you mean by empty self? The empty self. So it it could also be stated as the false self that, um, wow, put me on the spot here. Uh, well, help me out. What are the seven characteristics of the empty self? Yeah, talk about reversing that and putting me on the spot. <laughs> you got passivity, inordinate individuality, infantile, narcissistic, sensate. They live a hurried and busy lifestyle and therefore have failed to develop the inner self. Those are the seven That was excellent. That's the best way I've ever heard it gone through. Thank you, sir. But yeah, these are all a result of, um, uh, what do I want to say? Not necessarily arrested development, but in a way they're states of immaturity and they're things that the um, the culture has been crafted to bring about in people. Does that make sense? Am uh, I explaining it, it very well? No, no, it does. It, it definitely makes sense to me because you and I have gone through that. But I think for the the novice who is not familiar with that idea, I think the way you explained it helps to bring that together. And here's the the crazy thing. The tendency for us to think with our emotions has been cultivated by a satanic controlled media, right? Mm -hmm. They use satanic mind control techniques that were established by the Tavistock Institute in order to constantly place our minds into a state of panic, if you will. We're constantly being shocked and bombarded and it's done to control our emotions. So that way we're put into a state of panic. We're in fear. We're not sure what's going to happen. And we accept the narrative as well as the solution. Okay. So it's not accidental. It's, it's really being done. This is why the news is constantly stirring up your emotions. Right, right. This is why commercials play on your emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we get other content that we're filling ourselves with up. You, between the commercial breaks, 
that are still manipulating our emotions. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But going back to weather manipulation, for something that is so new in the public mind, it's crazy to me that there has been legislation about weather manipulation since the 70s. Right? For something that apparently doesn't exist. Right. That's exactly. what tripped me up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've got to ask, though, the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, no. you said that was NOAA a minute ago. Is, uh-huh. the, is that what it's called? Yeah. N-O-A-A. Yeah, two A's. Okay. I completely missed that when I did this. And I was like, okay, it's just the lengthy, heavy title, Oceanic and Atmospheric Management. No, but no if, you hear that, him, if you hear him reference, they'll probably call him Noah before they spell it all the way out, just like NASA. Right, right. But I didn't know that. That's crazy. But yeah, so in the U.S., the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, keeps record of weather modification projects on behalf of the Secretary of Commerce under the authority of public law enacted in 1971. And then U.S. and Canada, the U.S. and Canada agreement in 1975, they entered into an agreement under the auspice of the United Nations for the exchange of information on weather modification activity. Then, in 1977, we have the U.N. Environmental Modification Convention. Weather modification... Uh, particularly hostile weather warfare, was addressed by the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 3172, Convention of the Prohibition of Military or Any Other Hostile Use of Elemental Modification Techniques. The convention was signed in Geneva on May 18, 1977, entered into force on October 5, 1978, and was ratified by U.S. President Jimmy Carter on December 13, 1979. Which ain't that long ago. It's Here, not. Here's what's wild to me, man. Uh, Steve Quell wrote a book called Weather Wars. And okay. I remember starting to read it, reading it uh, probably about a year ago. I haven't finished it. Thought to myself, man, this would make a great episode. We get to this episode, and I haven't had a chance to go back and read it. But in the <laughs> very beginning of the book, he highlights the fact that the United States and Russia entered into a treaty with each other stating that they would not use weather modification techniques as a form of warfare on the other. And I want to say that this was signed somewhere in the 1940s. Really? And I'm like, wait a minute. You don't enter into <laughs> treaties about something you can't do. Mm-hmm. Even if you're I've trying listened- to play mind games, I, I don't think you, you do that. Right. I've listened, I listened not to a whole bunch of podcasts, but a couple hours of podcasts on, on this topic. And, and the, the, I don't want to say conjecture, but a lot of people think it, it was not what you're saying, but they were, it was just an anticipation. Oh, if we ever find out how, then we should have treaties. I'm like, that doesn't walk. That, that's not how warfare is, is done at no, all. From what I remember from Steve, Steve Quell's research, um, they had already conducted certain operations and experiments proving that they could control the weather. Mm-hmm. And I think Russia had done the same. And then it was like, oh, so you really can do this. Yes, we both can. <laughs> you know, it might be within our best interest not to do this to each other. You think? Okay, <laughs> I sign treaty, you sign treaty. Treaty sign. Right. It's like you, you yeah. agree not to drop so many nuclear bombs, but you got the bombs. Right. It blew that, my mind. I was like that right there, whether I think it's possible or not. 
black and white, you have a treaty about something you can do that you've agreed not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to go scratch it, my head for a while. I put the book down. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Yeah. That that was one of the things that happened when preparing, you know, putting together the notes and stuff for this show is at so many moments, I was like, oh, this is this is like a real, real thing. Yeah. You know? It's like what you think you know, you don't know. And right. what you don't know, you don't know you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the implications of this knowledge is is insane. Oh man, dude, it, it's it's wild. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it kind of takes me back to that movie, The Core, one of my favorite movies. That's one of your favorite movies. It is. I haven't figured out why. How did, how did I not know this? What the, the Core is one of my favorite. Yeah. Haven't we talked about it before? No. I. I thought you only it. liked going up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not married, so I haven't yet, you know, been able to enjoy the going down. <laughs> wow, that took an immediate left turn. I was trying not to, as, as I as I saw the words being formulated <laughs> and exiting my mouth. I was like, "Come back! This is wrong." Oh uh, yeah, we got to do <laughs> we got to do a hard left T-shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> Never take a right. It's just straight hard left. But no, I love the core, dude. I I, I think it's a lot of the the scientific nerdy part. Mixed uh-huh. in with adventure and going to okay. a part of of our planet that we just don't know much about. You know, we speculate right. a lot about the core, but the furthest down that we've drilled, I think, is seven miles. Right? That's okay. not that deep at all. Right. And we're speculating at best on what we think is going on at the core. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the things that was fascinating, that entire movie was built on the premise that there was a high energy high energy weapon that was being utilized that actually not only caused massive earthquakes, it stopped the core, which according to that model, if that holds true for what's at the center of the planet, actually had a, other ramifications on our planet, including no longer having the, the uh, what is it? It's not the ionosphere, the, the magnetic sphere. You okay. know, we, we didn't have that anymore. So sun rays were coming in, solar storms were becoming a big issue. There was a hole in the ozone layer that created a major problem, massive lightning storms. I mean, just a whole bunch of weird weather-related phenomena. Okay. And I was like, wow, that could all be done by the core. That's crazy. Who would have ever thought? Uh-huh. I love it. Hillary Swank, I think, did a great job. Bruce, Bruce Greenwood, excellent job. Uh, they got Stanley Tucci in there. They got, um, I can't even think of the other, the black guy. It's amazing. It's one dude I should know his name. <laughs> right? I can't think of his name right now. Oh, Delroy Lindo. That's his name. Okay. I got my card okay. <laughs> You almost lost I it. did. I was like, man, it was on my own, you know, throw it out on this movie. It would have been my own fault. But yeah, absolutely love it. I love it. And I just, I really find what it, Aaron Eckhart also does a great job. But I like what it deals with as a concept. I also mm-hmm. find it fascinating that it really is teaching the idea that there is a high energy weapon in the possession of the United States government that can have massive consequence on geo-related weather patterns. Mm-hmm. And it's under the United States military. Like they were causing right. earthquakes on the other side of the planet. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> I, if this is real, I'm not sure if it is, but if it is, this is phenomenal. Yeah, it might be. It might be, but we'll, we'll get into that here a little bit later. Okay, enough about the court. I will say though, <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, anybody listening, go get it. Great movie. 
Okay. I might have to watch it now. I think we'll doing this tonight. episode of talking to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but beyond the, 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 the type of manipulation that you're talking about, there are several aspects to weather manipulation. Uh, cloud seeding is, is one. So cloud seeding is the act of spraying chemicals into clouds in order to affect their development. Um, and eight, I have a list of eight chemicals that they use. So this is what a lot of people say is the most common. And I don't know if it if it is um, actually the most common or just the most approved of. You know what I mean? The one that they flash in front of us. Oh, yeah. Okay. We, cl- we cloud seed. You know what I mean? All right. So, but even in this, it's terribly incriminating. So, uh, first chemical, silver iodide. Silver iodide, the chemical most, com- most commonly used to seed clouds, is known to be toxic and is regulated under the Clean Water Act as a hazardous substance. Wait a minute. So are these, I know you got them listed here, but they, are they listed by prominence? Like is the top of the list the most prominent chemical that's used? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I think it depends on what the purpose of of the cloud seeding is because I know carbon dioxide in the form of dry ice is almost used exclusively for like directing storms and things like that. So okay. it might depend on what the purpose of the seeding is. Okay. But just generally silver iodide is the most commonly used one. Interesting. The most yeah. commonly used chemical is a known toxic chemical. That's right. That's a hazardous substance that's regulated. Uh-huh. Doesn't yeah. seem problematic to put into the atmosphere <laughs> where it may spread. Right. And put it in clouds. And one of the main purposes of cloud seeding is, is to cause it to rain. Exactly. So if you're throwing a bunch of silver iodide into the clouds, forcing them to rain, where do you think that iodide is going? I mean, what goes up must come down. Exactly. Exactly. But it, get, it gets better. Okay. <laughs> so potassium iodide, its harmful effects... Uh, may include gestational upset, rashes, and inflammation of the salivatory glands. Wait, so it's affecting how people are developing? Uh-huh. Wait, gestational or gastrointestinal? Gastrointestinal, sorry. Okay. What did I say? Gestational? Yeah. My mistake, my mistake. Yes, gastrointestinal. Stomach upset. Okay. Inflammations of the sal- inflammation of the, s- of the salivary glands? Salivary uh-huh. glands. Yeah, it sounds like you're salivating a little extra no, over there. No, no, no. <laughs> Is no. it raining I, in your part of town? <laughs> I, not, not silver iodide. <laughs> but yeah, so there's that one. And then carbon dioxide, right? Which is the thing that they tell us shouldn't be in the atmosphere. They specifically use to seed clouds. A lot of times in the form, like I said, of dry ice, of dumping tons and tons of dry ice into particular storms or whatever. Propane is used. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, calcium carbide. Okay. So calcium carbide can irritate the skin, causing rashes, redness, burning feeling on contact, um, permanent damage. Uh, exposures uh, may cause a buildup of fluid in the lungs, which is a pulmonary edema, which can be a medical emergency or is a medical emergency. And people suffocate from that. Yeah. And they're just loading the clouds full of it. All right. Ammonium nitrate. Inhalation of high concentrations of ammonium nitrate dust can cause respiratory tract infections. That's the same stuff they use. They take from fertilizer to make palms. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that stuff's good. (laughs) And then sodium chloride, which essentially is salt. 
which doesn't sound bad. You know, it may seem harmless, but the increased amount of salt and freshwater supplies have catastrophic effects on the ecosystem because freshwater animals cannot live in salt water. Okay. And then eight is urea compound. I don't have much information on this. I know it's a fertilizer similar to ammonium nitrate. Um, but the research that I found is that one is relatively safe. Okay. For whoever makes those determinations. <laughs> it's still crazy that these eight uh, substances are being used, put into cloud forms, put into the atmosphere to create cloud formation that ultimately is going to rain down, like you said, create runoff, all sorts uh-huh. of stuff, get into our crops, get into our food supply, get on us. Right. And these are the only eight that they're disclosing to us. Exactly. That's the scary thing. Yep. So beyond just cloud seeding, they also try to use storm prevention. Project Storm Fury was run by the United States uh, government and attempted to slow or weaken tropical storms by seeding them with silver iodide. This project ran from like 1962 to 1983. Was it successful? um, They don't want to tell us. A lot of the, the... um, the specific term that you will hear if you do a lot of research is the results were inconclusive. <laughs> All right. Government speak but, for, we're not going to tell you, but it's not classified. Right, right. Interesting. But then it gets crazier because Project Cirrus, C-I-R-R-U-S, it was an attempt by General Electric to modify the weather, which ran from 1947 to 1952. Now, we see this all the time, and we need to be keen to pay attention. 1947 was only two years after World War II. This means it was only two years after Operation Paperclip, where we smuggled over high-ranking Nazi scientists and occultists. We adopted more than just their tech, as you've uh, helped bring to to our mind, um, beyond the tech and magic, but we also adopted the spiritual forces that govern them. Right. So... So my question is, were some of those spirits elemental spirits, and that's why we see the birth of weather modification a mere two years after we bring them in? Well, hold on. It makes you wonder. We had some more things happen, though, in 1947. Okay. All right, that you you can't dismiss. See, right right around that time, I think maybe a year prior to that, you had the the Babylon working. Being Oh. Right? And then- yeah. And then yeah. 1947, you have the Roswell incident, which is Interesting. tied back to that. And don't forget Jack Parsons and now Ron Hubbard are part of that. Jack Parsons is linked up to NASA. So I'm quite sure any weather manipulating projects are going on, even in conjunction with NOAA or other U.S. Uh, military organizations. You got to have NASA involvement on some level. Right, right. But then don't forget, we also had the the uh, National Security Act established in 1947, which completely rearranged our governmental structure, right? So that's where they created the Air Force. They created the Marine Corps as a permanent department of the United States Navy. They Mm -hmm. created the Department of Defense, National Security Agency, all that other stuff. Completely working. It's a lot of stuff that was going on in 1947, Interesting. Not to mention what you were talking about with Paperclip and and then also, because you get, with Paperclip, you get the creation of the CIA. CIA came out of 1947 as well. Man, 
There's a lot that happened at that little juncture. Yeah. I didn't even tie it to all that. That's crazy. Now my brain's spinning, you know, trying to make other connections. <laughs> well, I, I had never even, it, it's crazy the way, the way that we learn sometimes is so compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the entire structure of our government changed two years after we brought over high-ranking Nazi officials, like right. that alone, man. Right. Man. Anyway, anyway, I'll have to think about that later. My bad, bro. No, it's all right. Project Cirrus, 1947 and 1952. Now, during that time, under the supervision of the United States Air Force, attempts were made to create snowstorms and seed hurricanes by using silver iodide. General Electric reported positive results despite the controversial nature of the project. So they're not saying what the government's saying. They, they're inconclusive. General Electric is like, oh, yeah, we're, we're making snowstorms and, right. and seed hurricanes. That's crazy. This was also their first attempt to modify a hurricane. It was in collaboration with General Electric Corporation. What? The U.S. Army's... What? You, you just sped over that so quick. To modify a hurricane? Exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's crazy. Modifying a hurricane? Yeah. Fast forward, bro. A good, what, uh, 60 some odd years? I can't remember okay. when Katrina happened. Mm, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Right? And I, I'm not trying to say Bush doesn't like black people. That's already been stated. Mr. West took care of that. <laughs> What I'm trying to say, I just flash back to the look on Mike Myers' face when Kanye said that. It was so shocking to him. I was like, dude, you do improv and you just got shocked by Kanye. That was a far out there statement to shock Mike Myers. But anyway, you know, they, they said that Katrina just ballooned overnight. Was it mm. category three to category five or something like that? Okay. Like it went up on magnitudes. And everybody's like, I, I can't, what happened? Are That's we sure? Are, are we sure the U.S. government had nothing to do with that? We can't, there's no way we can be sure. I'm saying, we know it was a FEMA test. We know they had talked about that. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see what would happen when a large-scale disaster occurs on a, on a, in a, in a large metropolitan area and what rights or things could be infringed upon during that time all the way right. down to taking guns and not giving them back and exchanging that for shelter man right like you, you would think now wait a minute but if they were doing this back then you're sure they weren't doing it now right i mean this is the 40s the 40s and the 50s and that was when america was supposedly good uh-huh right they had a lot of great <laughs> stuff happening this was a wonderful time to be alive in the 40s and 50s Right, right. It's it's not like that. <laughs> no, like this makes you rethink a lot of, like I said at the beginning, a lot of what I thought I know, I had to start rethinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So this was a, a collaboration, General Electric, the U.S. Army Signal Corps, Office of Naval Research, and the Air Force all came together. On October 13th, 1947, the hurricane was off the East Coast and headed out to sea. But the Project's two B-17 and a B-29 of the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Group. So there's, there's even, they even have their own, um, what would it be, a fleet? Oh, yeah. I mean, they still have Weather Reconnaissance too. Group? 
Okay. They still okay. have that. Like just about every storm or hurricane that comes off the coast, they fly aircraft into it. They take okay. they take readings. It's kind of how we get trackings. They fly into the eye. They go gotcha. back out. They gotcha. come back in to establish the core center of the eye and then to track the path of the hurricane. Okay. So they were dispatched from McDeal Field, Florida to intercept the hurricane. Okay. So the seating B-17 blew, uh, flew along the rain bands of the hurricane and dropped nearly 180 pounds, or 82 kilograms, for those of our listeners overseas, of crushed dry ice into the clouds. And the crew reported pronounced modification of the cloud deck seating. Next, the hurricane changed direction and made landfall near Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about this. That's kind of messed up. It is messed up. The The public blamed uh, the seating and uh, Irving Lagmar claimed that the reversal had been caused by human intervention. And lawsuits were threatened. I mean, clearly. So like weather modification doesn't exist, but now we have Savannah, Georgia threatening lawsuits for weather modification in 1947. Like I'm over here stuck like y'all, y'all can control hurricanes now. Right. Like, that's on the list? Mm-hmm. We ain't going to never get our civil rights. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. <laughs> they controlling hurricanes now. This, this is a wreck. 1940s. Right. It was only the fact that a system in 1906 had taken a similar path, and apparently there was evidence showing that the storm may have already begun to turn when the seating began that ended litigation. Okay. But the crazy thing is, at first, the seating was officially denied, and it took years before the government admitted it. But our government doesn't lie, right? And we can trust everything they say. Right. So not only did they do it, they lied about it. And it wasn't until, uh, I think, 1965. So according to uh, the September 12, 1965 edition of Fort Lauderdale News and Sun Sentinel, um, they said a 1947 hurricane went wacky, and then 12 years later, it was admitted that the storm had, in fact, been seeded. Isn't that wild? Mm-hmm. Wild. I mean, how many people's lives were affected in between that time? How many people were called crazy? How many people were conspiracy theorists? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And now and the they government the her- admits it. Oh, uh, we had And I bet you, I bet you. Nothing happened. No punitive yeah. real damages. Right. No We're apologies. Rewarded. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we, we found the paperwork. We did see that. But nothing to see here, folks. Right. And uh, do you remember the huge snowstorm that hit Texas in February of this year? This year? No. I thought it was this year. Was it this year? I remember I, something I looked- weird where Texas got snow and it doesn't normally get snow. But, I thought it was this year. Okay. I looked it up. If it wasn't this year, it was last year. But yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. thought I looked it up and, and saw that it was that it was as recent as this this past February. Okay. But yeah, so Texas doesn't normally get snow, and it just poured on Texas, caused a huge energy crisis. And remember, they had to like buy energy that from other I states. Yeah, yeah. At astronomic prices. Yep. Some people even said that the the snow wouldn't melt like normal snow. Like they they took it inside or they heated it up or whatever, and mm-hmm. it took a lot longer to melt than really? ordinary snow. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's te- a, that's a little weird though. Pushing back on the other end. Okay. Because how would I mean your Texas? How you know what normal snow melts like? What thirty two degrees? 
uh, is a normal melting point of water? I don't know. Well, it is. Is that the melting point or the boiling point? Melting no, no, no. Point. 32, 32 degrees, degrees is like the freezing Fahrenheit. point of water. And the melting point. Is it? it? It begins to melt and begins to freeze at 32 degrees. Duh. I feel, I feel some kind of way right now. <laughs> the boiling point is 212 degrees okay. Fahrenheit. I'm used to thinking of it, though, getting cooler. Because, you know, as it gets okay. colder across the year, you're like 32 degrees where it freezes. You don't think gotcha. of it warming up. And 32 degrees is where it'll start to melt into right, a right. liquid. But I got you. But yeah. They said that it had a much higher melting point than than just water alone. Okay. That's suspicious. Crazy. Right. But it becomes way more suspicious when we realize and touch back to the fact that General Electric, with the help of the U.S. military, was doing this very thing, causing snowstorms all the way back in the 40s. Yes. And the and the res, one of the major results of this was the price of electricity shot through the roof. So electric companies were making tons and tons of money off of this incident. Right, it created a a semi energy crisis. Right, right. Doesn't I, seem I, suspicious. <laughs> I think we got reasons to be suspicious. I, yeah, I would agree. But then beyond just making money for and. Uh, Electric companies, we have military use, like you were talking about before. For military use of weather manipulation, we got to look at Operation Popeye. And I think you've heard about this before, right? Um, Has no, nothing to do with because I was thinking about chicken. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah, it, that's wow! The chicken. cultural divide, isn't it crazy? Right there. <laughs> I went you to go to spinach. spinach I'm you going went to chicken. chicken. <laughs> I've been genetically predisposed to having a soft place for poultry. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. But Operation Popeye, it was a military cloud seeding project carried out by the U.S. Air Force during the Vietnam War, 1967 and 1972. The highly classified program attempted to extend monsoon season over specific areas of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The former U.S. Secretary of Defense, Robert S. McNamara. And this name should sound familiar because it's the same McNamara responsible for the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Which was? It was the, the false flag that caused us to get involved in the Vietnam War. Exactly. Yes. So McNamara was aware that there might be objections raised by the scientific community, but he said in a memo to the president that such objections had never prevented military action in regards to national security before. So why should it now? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a heck of a stance to take. Uh, seems like something though that you would get from, from these people. Oh, for sure. I'm not surprised, but it's just... It's crazy to see it in black and white. Right, you know what it's I mean? not a moral objection. Right. It just, I mean, this has never stopped <laughs> us before. Why do you have an issue with it? Yeah. <laughs> How long have you guys been doing it? Ah, listen, you need plausible deniability. We need to not tell you anything else, sir. <laughs> crazy. It's, it's nuts. But the, the Chemical Weather Modification Program was sponsored by Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and the CIA without the authorization of the Secretary of Defense, Melvin Laird, who he actually categorically denied to Congress that a program for modification of the weather for use as a tactical weapon even existed. Okay, wait a minute. I didn't know Kissinger was, was Secretary of State. 
Okay. So Kissinger's huge in the um in the New World Order uh program. Yeah. Like yeah. he's one of the dudes who's been going around for a long time talking about it. And if I'm not yeah, Ryan mistaken, Dean. go ahead. I was just gonna say Ryan Dean thinks that he might be the most evil man that's ever lived. Oh no, we've got way more evil people than that. <laughs> Definitely a wicked guy though. Right, um, but right. if I'm not mistaken, he was also working with Rockefellers. I believe he was, uh, you know, we were talking about, I, I can't remember when Kissinger was born, but I, I think David Rockefeller, you know, we talked about um, progressive education, right? Mm -hmm. John Dewey, how how the Rockefeller uh, senior actually helped to produce the General Education Board and actually promote John Dewey's progressive educational model. And yeah. it created uh, dyslexia. Right. But all of Rockefeller's kids, he had trained at Dewey School and they all became dyslexic. So what he had was he had, you could call them secretaries or assistants that mm -hmm. would do the work for them since they couldn't read well. And okay. Kissinger was one of those people. So he got bought into that world. Okay. Right. And makes it all the way to Secretary of State. Which makes him the third most powerful person as far as continuity of government is concerned. Because it would go, if there was an issue, it would be President, Vice President, Secretary of State. That's crazy. I think Secretary of Defense is like five or six on the list. Interesting. So just as far as political pool. Mm -hmm. You've got a bit of clout there. So if you're not, if you're making sure through back channels that the secretary of defense doesn't know certain things, you kind of outrank them. I mean, you're both right. cabinet level, but Hey, if something happens, number one, number two, you know, it's going to be your boss, buddy. So you're going to have to get in line. There's a lot of stuff going on back here. Yeah, there's a lot. Cause the president knew and the secretary of state knew but the Secretary of Defense get, didn't get in on it. That's interesting. Yep. Man. Anyway, Operation Popeye's goal was to increase the rainfall in carefully selected areas to destroy the Vietnamese supply lines and destroy their infrastructure. So they were trying to soften the roadways, uh, cause landslides along roadways, wash out river crossings, and maintain saturated soil conditions beyond the normal time span. And the, the overarching goal was to extend the rainfall by about 30 to 45 days each monsoon season. That's nuts. And the, yeah. And the slogan for this operation was make mud, not war. <laughs> I mean, that's a really good slogan. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's catchy. Uh-huh. But it's insane. So it was a it was a multi year operation. If every monsoon season they wanted to extend the the rainy time by a month to a month and a half. Right. That's insane. Yep. But we can't possibly talk about weather manipulation without discussing the big one, right? H A A R P HARP, the high frequency active auroral research program. Oh, you know you're going to have people flipping out now. <laughs> yes, yes. HARP is used to transmit high-powered radio frequency into the ionosphere, which is the highest ionized part of Earth's atmosphere. And that didn't mean anything to me when I read it. 
So you did a, uh, several times you've talked about all the spheres, right? Like the atmosphere, the magnetosphere. Right. And every time you do it, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that they're actually spheres. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just rote memorization of a term. Um, but we have the stratosphere, the mesosphere, and then we have two layers of ionosphere and then the thermosphere. And then on top of that, there's another layer of ionosphere. Yeah, the stratosphere. All, I didn't say stratosphere? No. Oh, okay, yeah. But so we have the... All of these make go up ahead. the atmosphere. Like gotcha, these are actually gotcha. the... Uh, what are they? Four or five layers of the atmosphere. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, the above the ozone layer is the stratosphere. So several layers above that, we have the ionosphere. And that's the sphere that HARP is projecting high frequency radio um, transmissions. Yeah, I think to give order- people a better idea. You have the, the the troposphere is like the layer of of air that sits right on the surface of the planet that goes okay. up about seven and a half miles. So you're looking at 30, 35 to 40,000 feet. And okay. then there's another layer of air on top of that. That's the stratosphere. If you've ever seen like these, um, you know, the anvil clouds, the thunderstorm heads, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the re- you know they rise up almost thirty thousand feet, sometimes more than that. But the reason they flatten out at the top is because they hit the bottom of the stratosphere. Okay, so it's like a whole nother layer that sits on top of it. Most jetliners they fly in the troposphere. Okay, that makes sense. Right, so the stratosphere is above that. That's where we release weather balloons and things like that. I think it's it's also where I believe the jet streams are located. Okay. Then you get above that, that's the mesosphere. You're getting out to, you know, between 30 to 50 miles in altitude. And that, then, that's up there. Yeah, that's, that's really high. And then you start getting above that, you get into the thermosphere. Now, between the mesosphere and thermosphere, um, you start getting into this ionosphere. And it, it makes okay. up these, these two layers. So I think two layers of the ionosphere are between the mesosphere and thermosphere. And then there's another layer of the ionosphere that sits above the thermosphere. Okay. And somewhere in the middle, the the space shuttle is going around. I want to say the space shuttle is probably up near the thermosphere area. I'm not sure. But those are just... Space shuttle? Yeah. Like it doesn't leave? No, space shuttle is typically in low Earth orbit. Okay, okay. So it's still going around in our, in the upper regions of our atmosphere. Satellites okay. sit pretty high up there in our atmosphere as well. Interesting. But it's pretty cool when you look at it and learn these layers and how far out into outer space they actually go. Right. You have this thought- mind-blown look on your face. Well, no, it's just interesting because I don't, think of myself as being ignorant of the atmosphere. Right. Mm-hmm. But every, every time we go into it, you offer more information. I was like, you know what? There, <laughs> there's stuff I didn't even know. I didn't know. Well, the same could be said though, for like the ocean, the ocean has got all of these different layers to it. Like the bathosphere, the, I can't remember all the names, but like the deeper you go, the different layers of water you hit. So the bathosphere, is that just like one to two feet? No, I th- actually think it's pretty deep. Where, 
where people take a bath? Yeah, you would think, right? <laughs> no, I actually think it's like really deep into the ocean. Okay. But I think there's like five layers maybe that they break ocean water into. Kind of cool. Man. Yeah, there's a, there's always something cool to discover when you when you go down these these paths. Right, like the stuff, the amount of useless information that sits in our head. <laughs> I'd like to think that we could put it to use. I mean, Harp definitely put some of that to use. It did. It did. Right. Uh, it was founded by the Air Force, the Navy University of Alaska, and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, also known as DARPA. Interesting. That's crazy. I didn't know DARPA was a part of that. Yeah. Right. So off the rip, like we should be, we should be concerned about harp if DARPA was involved in setting it up. Right. I mean, that's, that's just the way that it goes, but it took about $290 million of taxpayer money to get harp off the ground in 1993. That's not a lot. It seems like a lot. Nope. Right there while Clinton was over there, but balancing the budget, you guys need 290 million. I I got you. (laughs) Harp's important. Yeah, but then it, it ran under DARPA from 1993 to 2015, and then DARPA handed it over exclusively to the University of Fairbanks. I think but, right now, a lot of the defense against this whole idea of HARP is uh-huh. that it's a really small facility that's only managed by a university. So it could yeah. be this thing that you guys keep saying <laughs> that it is. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, it, it sounds benign, like as a headline, mm-hmm. but even, you know, we've talked about the the Nazis and all that and MK ultra utilized universities. So you wouldn't say that, you know, those things were benign because they were just a few universities that were doing it. You exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. It, it just doesn't walk. So even though it's just a university in 2021, they got $9.3 million grant from the government to continue and expand HARP. So something's going on, right? If there's money flowing, there, there's something still happening. So uh, a coworker actually got me uh, the book, Angels Don't Play This Harp, hmm. by uh, Dr. Nick Begek and Gene Manning. Okay. Have you heard of it? The Browers talk about it all the time. I have not. Okay. Okay. It's, it's a, I haven't gone through the whole thing. It's a really interesting read. It's a little bit above my level. Uh, but I have a uh, a bit of the beginning, so let me read this to you and hold on because it's it's interesting. So he says that the high frequency active auroral research project HARP is designed to test the effects of billions of watts of concentrated radio energy on the ionosphere of our planet. Extremely high altitude lenses formed with billions of cubic yards of ionic atmospheric particles are being used to focus radio carrier waves onto the surface of our planet for military purposes. For my research, I know that if the correct frequency harmonic for the carrier is chosen randomly, the result will be an absolute catastrophic release of pure energy. The sky would literally appear to burn. What cannot be calculated or imagined is how hot the fire would be or how long it would burn or what elements or isotopes would remain after the reaction is complete. The plain and simple fact is that the risk of scorching every organic molecule off several states in a few moments for the sake of experimenting with a new weapon is unacceptable for the world. 
Only a small handful of scientists in the world know what is being done by the United States military with HARP. The excitement and zeal of these military children is not checked by the wisdom and experience of any civilian scientific community. Their experiments are being conducted and funded in secret. I do not think that their citizens of the world, sorry, I do not think that the citizens of the world want the surprise of having half the upper atmosphere turned to flames because of harp technicians and that the fact that they didn't stop to think what might happen if a couple of billion watts of the right frequency were beamed into the ionosphere during a sunstorm. Our country has been blessed with freedom largely because we have the right to speak out against injustice or corruption. It seems most of the media have been bought and paid <clears throat> bought and paid for by parties who wish to remain in power no matter what the people think or say. The paper is to inform you that your planet is under assault by absolute power. We need to have a civilian scientific review, review and publication of the results of HARP experiments before any more transmissions are conducted. The U.S. government has new ground-based Star Wars weapon, which is being tested in the remote bush country of Alaska, and this new system manipulates the environment in a way which can disrupt human mental process, jam all global communication systems, change weather patterns over large areas, interfere with wildlife migration patterns, negatively impact your health, and have an unnatural impact on Earth's upper atmosphere. The U.S. military calls the sapper HARP, High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project. That's crazy. That's nuts. Absolutely nuts. And uh, some of the accusations against HARP is that they've caused earthquakes, you know, in other parts of the world. And you were talking about the movie Core. Mm-hmm. And how that there was this weapon that was designed to manipulate weather and cause these natural disasters. I think we're looking at it here. Yeah, I, I think that was actually what the that weapon was built off of. The idea, I think, oh, was okay. built off of, of Harp. They don't say it, you know, in the film, but I think that that's what served as the the core the core idea. Okay, interesting, interesting. But the I think the the implications of weather manipulation are just outstanding especially if this stuff started in the 40s with General Electric. So for a government that has experimented on its citizens in so many other ways, as they've denied their involvement in weather manip manipulation, is there any natural disaster that doesn't become suspect? So I'm not, I'm not saying that every natural disaster is directly caused by the government. You know, we had natural disasters, disasters before weather modification and all of that. But if some of them are done by the hand of government, how do we know when they are and when they aren't? So it's kind of like, and this is this this might sound strange, but bear with me. It, it's kind of like Impractical Jokers. Okay. Have I told you about my issue with them? No. So I recently discovered a continuity error while watching the show Impractical Jokers. And for those that don't know, it's a hidden camera show on True TV, and they go and behave like loons, like crazy people in the general population to get some really candid responses to, to their behavior, right? And, and that's what makes it funny. But a continuity error shows that it was staged and they cut and pasted different clips together, you know, to make it funny or fit their particular narrative for whatever skit that they were doing. Now, some of the clips might be genuine, but if some of them are staged, then they could all be staged. Either way, it's not funny to me anymore. 
I try to watch it. And if you look at it as a stage thing, it, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a, it's a smart gimmick for a show, but it's not funny. Right. Now, in the same way, the, the government is a known participant in manipulating the weather and even tactically for warfare purposes, right? Okay. So maybe not all of them are their fault, but maybe they are. And at this point, it's really not funny anymore. I get you. It's, it's, it's crazy. You, you kind of have to look at everything through that lens, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes it but, troubling because now you don't know what you can trust. You don't know if you can trust the narrative. You don't know if they say, hey, this was just a freak accident or, you know, California just got hit wildfires. You know, you, if, even if they do this cyclically, then it becomes something that you can believe more. Well, every year they get hit wildfires. Every year there's flooding here. I mean, why, why are mm-hmm. you really, you know, raising a flag over this? Why are you why are you, why are you making a fuss? Like, this is normal. This is what happens. Right. Right. And you really have and to question it. Mm-hmm. And especially, we'll get into this a little bit later, but especially with the whole idea of climate change and global warming, but realizing that the power they have over the climate, then you have to be suspicious of all of those things too. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's crazy. But it isn't just trying to manipulate our genetics or our minds to deviate from God's natural design. It's the very air that we breathe. You know, manipulation and control is the name of the game because as we've talked about, if it's the Nazi scientist, if it's the parasite class that has allegiances with dark forces, this is the, um, the source of their information, the source of their motivation to, to bring these things um, to bear. And clearly, when you see the destruction that happens at their hand, it's, it's not for the betterment of people. It, it, it's for an, uh, another darker end goal. Okay. But it's not just it's not just the air. What else? Well, what about the water we drink? The water on the planet? Mm. Th- this is another issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this stuff has been getting polluted and poisoned. Fukushima is a great example. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you have it going over uh, all different places. Man, the Mississippi Delta, you know how polluted that is? It's bad. Oh, it's horrible. It's real bad. Horrible. Mm-hmm. All of the industrial runoff that goes down into that and then out into the Gulf. You got the Gulf with all the oil spills and things that have happened. You yep. know, and uh, the- a Deepwater Horizon being the most historic oil spill that went out. Okay. All the yeah. loss of life, or sea life in particular. Yeah. yeah. Our, our waterways are really an issue. But if... If water is the most abundant resource, right? Mm-hmm. Then how can there be a looming problem if there's just sections of it that are contaminated, right? Well, kind of like we were doing with the air a moment ago. If you just look <laughs> at the air as just the air and you don't break it down into these subsequent layers or mm-hmm. sections, then you probably get a mis uh, you you get a uh, a misunderstanding as to really what you're dealing with, what you're looking at. I think the same could be said for water. I mean, there's different types of water that we have on the planet. The most abundant of which is going to be salt water, obviously. Right. But even before you jump to that, you've got above ground water and you've got below ground water. That's probably a thing for most people where they're like, wait, you've got what? (laughs) Like there's water beneath the ground 
And there is, I mean, there are huge aquifers underneath the ground. Right. There's right. rivers that run subterranean. That's a wild idea. A subterranean river. Yeah. Right. You've got uh-huh. lakes underground. There's right. a whole, whole new world. You know, not to borrow from, from Jasmine. <laughs> right? That's right where my mind went to. I, I hate that Disney has yeah, Disney such a has hold. had no effect on us. None right, whatsoever. Right. But, That's funny. But you but, absolutely do. And I, I think people have got to reclassify and recalibrate their thinking on these things and realize we haven't been told the full story. Right, right. And I, I have a clip that explains a little bit of that. Can we run out of water on a planet full of water? 71% of Earth's surface. There are 326 million trillion gallons of it on and in the planet. 96.5% of the water is ocean water, and just 3.5% is fresh water. Of that 3.5%, 69% of that water is locked up in glaciers. Another 30% of that fresh water is underground and usually requires costly extraction. That leaves 114 million billion gallons of readily accessible fresh water. Not necessarily drinkable water, but water nonetheless. That sounds like enough, but it represents just 1% of the Earth's water for every man, woman, child, and animal on the planet. That 1% of the water has to also serve every agricultural and industrial need on the planet. In most cases, it also needs to be filtered and treated before it is safely consumable. So, though there is plenty of water on the planet, not very much of it is drinkable. Not very much of it is accessible, and the distribution methods are easily manipulated, legislated, and monetized. Yeah, that's just like you were saying. It's completely different than the way we think of it, you know? Right. I heard somebody say, though, I think we were talking about uh, California, because California has had record droughts, right? And technically, California, particularly like Los Angeles uh-huh. and, you know, Los Angeles Valley, all, all of that, they shouldn't be there. The only reason it's there, because it's really a desert, but the only reason it's soaring to this this metropolis, if you will, is because of the, the aquifer. Uh, okay. They've got a source of water that is far upstream. Now, I forget where it starts. I want to say the Rockies, but don't quote me on that. Okay. Well, this whole aquifer they have that actually waters the whole valley. Mm-hmm. If that thing dries up, there's a problem. You have no water out there. And there's a lot of people out there in, in L.A., in Los Angeles County. But yeah. somebody was saying they don't have a water problem. What they have is a salt problem. Because California sits on the coast of the largest body of water on the planet, which is Pacific Ocean. Okay. So if we could devise ways to desalinize the water, you've got a huge source of water right there. Right. But it's all salt water. That's interesting. It is. And if we could find a way to desalinize it, it's going to be a new energy industry that's going to be monetized. It's going to be legislated, just like the guy was saying. Right. And it's going to become a a choke point for there to be new pressures put on by power elites that still are going to adversely, potentially adversely affect the public. Right. It's crazy. I found a... um Beyond just like the the diminishing natural resources, I found an article uh, by somebody named Zhou Xing Yang. And uh, it, it states this. He says, a disturbing trend in the water sector is accelerating worldwide. The new 
quote-unquote water barons. The Wall Street banks and elite multi-billionaires are buying up water all over the world at unprecedented pace. Yes. Familiar mega banks and investment powerhouses such as Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, UBS, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, uh, Marquis Bank, Barclays Bank, the Blackstone Group, uh, Allianz, and the HSBC Bank, among others, are consolidating their control over water. Wealthy tycoons are also buying thousands of acres of land with aquifers, lakes, water rights, water utilities, and shares in water engineering and technology companies all over the world. Bro, there was a documentary I watched once called Blue Gold, and it dealt with the fact that water rights were amongst one of the most sought-after new, um, what do you want to call those? I can't even think of the right financial term, but it was one of the most sought after new things to acquire. Okay. And one of the people that were buying up, actually one of the people, one of the families that were buying up water rights secretly were uh-huh. the Bushes. Interesting. A lot I didn't of come fresh across water that. Rights. And I'm like, that yeah, uh, is wild. Yeah. A bunch of the research that I found said that water um, is the the oil for this century, or you know, water is the new oil was the idea. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, we've. Got Could you this. imagine a, a a water dollar? Right, like we have the petro dollar, um, a water dollar. It wouldn't make sense here where we are in the Midwest. Uh huh. But if you go further out, further west, it is interesting how limited water is. Okay. Uh, when you start getting out like the Arizona, Utah area, all of that type of stuff, mm-hmm. they've got some really interesting battles going on between the states for who has access to the Colorado River and who has access to water. Okay. What you can do with it. Who owns the water? At what point do they own the water? What, where can the water be redirected? Yeah, because I know... Um I can't remember exactly where it is. It might be in this area, but Nestle is um, has a lot of residents. I wish I could remember the name of the town, but they've been pumping out tons of water and consistently lowering the water level. Like local fishermen are saying that it's you know twenty, thirty feet below where it should be, mm-hmm. and it's all because Nestle keeps pumping the water out. And they they make um, is it Ice Mountain? Is that Nestle? I think so. So it was really, it was insulting to these people that they were going through a drought and they didn't have water. So FEMA came in. Well, FEMA came in and gave them ice mountain water. Oh, I do remember that. And they're like, this was our water to to begin begin with. with. If you hadn't have taken it, we wouldn't have to go through all this in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Capitalism at its finest. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Free market capitalism. No checks mm-hmm. and balances. We'll just let the market correct because, of course, human nature being what it is, people have good intent. Yeah, there, you know, we're not no bad at our core. Regulation <laughs> on there, they're not sinful. Man. You know, they say Lake Mead has been suffering a huge drought. And okay. Lake Mead is one of the largest reservoirs in the country. I think it's uh, the one that's formed by Hoover Dam. Okay. And they have had historic droughts. Like you can see the water line, how it has dropped. Like it's dropped that far. There, there wow. are docks that were, they're just on rocks right now. Used to be Jeez. water up to the docks. And now they're like 
way far upstream. You're like, what is that? Oh, that's where the water used to be at. There's a huge drought situation going on over there. So for us, again, like I was saying in the Midwest, it's a little weird for us to be like, really? Water issues? You're buying up water rights? Mm -hmm. I mean, right above us, there's Great Lakes. Right, right. We're not really dealing with that. But out there, like you, they have water shortages where, you know, some places you can't have an actual lawn. You can only have fake grass because a lawn really? requires watering. And That's we don't have crazy. water to give. And, and it's, some, it's well, go ahead. Some of the ways that the rich flaunt their wealth is with golf courses with real grass hmm. that require water. Wow. That's messed up. Isn't it though? Wow. That's crazy. Oh dude. Yeah. This is wild. I don't remember where I saw that documentary at. I, I had to go through my YouTube history and see if maybe I can find a link to that and link it in the notes. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Man, I had no idea of all that. I, I forgot exactly what I was going to say. My bad. That's crazy. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, it, did you know in Colorado, it's entirely illegal to harvest rainwater? Yeah. That's that's insane. Colorado House Bill 161005 made it illegal to collect rainwater under most circumstance, circumstances to safeguard senior holders of Colorado water rights. This is what even I was talking it, about. Yeah, even though it falls from the sky onto your property, it's owned by somebody else the minute it touches something. Yep. It's crazy. That's scary, though. If you can own a natural resource like mm -hmm. water, what happens when they figure out that they can charge you for breathing air? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sheila Zelensky has talked a lot about that, that the carbon tax or carbon footprint. Mm-hmm is really going to boil down to the amount of air that you breathe in and they're going to tax the air. I believe. I mean, it. they do it with other elements. Why not that one? Exactly. Exactly. I absolutely and, believe it. And I remember the other thing that I was going to say, you know, we, we don't actually suffer from, from this particular thing in our region of the United States, but it's interesting to me, the way that the, the media, because we know they're purchased the way that they, disseminate information on what they think is important because we can hear about any um, offense against any transgender anywhere in the nation, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, we could know better what's happening in California with that than we even know what's happening in our backyard. Right. But so, something substantial about the actual water that, that we need to live being occupied by other people or running out like you said, like entire docks and marinas that are now sitting on rocks instead of having access to water. Like this is information that should be readily available to the public. Like we should know that this is going on. And the fact that we don't, I think points again to the fact that we can't trust the news to give us the information that we need. No, the, the news is not designed to inform you. The news no. is designed to conform you, to bend you towards a certain will. Yes, I like that. I haven't heard that before. Oh, thanks, man. I'm on a roll today. That's a, it's another shirt. That's a shirt. Hard, hard left. And, <laughs> and news. the news doesn't inform. It conforms. That's, that's interesting. But the other issue with the uh, major corporations buying up giant facilities and, and ground rights to underground wells is that it lowers the, the water level. So, so we were talking about like the lakes and stuff that you can see, but the issue with the underground um, water 
uh, like in some places in California, uh, it's too expensive for the homeowners to keep drilling because as the corporations suck the water out, it lowers the water, and now all the private residents don't have access. Like their their wells go dry, so then they have to pay out of their own pocket to drill deeper and drill deeper and drill deeper. And in some places, they just don't have the money to keep up with the amount of um, with the flow rate as it continues to dwindle the amount of water. That's that's insane to me. Yeah, that, that's gut-wrenching because, I mean, you're literally dealing with a, an entity that has extremely deep pockets that are deeper than the well you can dig. Right. And you need exactly. the well for your survival. Yeah, and, in the meantime, and they just need it to make money. What's coming from the sky that you could collect is illegal. Yeah. Like you screwed on both ends. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. Like, where do, you, where do you start looking at this stuff? It's, it, it's harder and harder to think that there's not an agenda, right? Like, because it covers every aspect. And there's no way this happened on accident. Like, it, it stri- strategic. It has to be. Well, see, this is why, you know, people who have listened to us, they, they would have heard us say from time to time that it's not a population issue. It is a resource allocation issue. Yes, Right. Even when it comes to poverty, there is more than enough wealth on this planet to go around and make sure that people could live a very, very comfortable life. But because Mm -hmm. of greed and asset reallocation, things like what we're talking about here with natural resources, this is what creates the imbalance, the poverty, the destruction. Right. And then this can be played towards an actual agenda. Because mm-hmm. while these type of resources are being reallocated towards the financial wealthy and the power elites, it provides the appropriate narrative for you to suggest, hey, we've got too many people on the planet. We don't have enough resources for everyone. We've right. got to cut some throats. We've got to drain some risk. I mean, they don't mm-hmm. want to say it that way. So we'll put it very nicely in a eugenics fashion. You know, we, we just have to call. Yep. We got to call the whore. We got to flatten the curve a little bit, baby. Okay, everybody's <laughs> got to do their part. Now, I'm I'm sorry, you know, you've lived a really good life. You've been here 20 years. Let's make some space for the neighbor. Let's worry about your fellow man. Okay, we got a nice cushy little place over here that we could just, and you know, you won't feel anything. Dedicate, right. you know, put your body to science. Do, do what you need to do for your fellow man. You know, we're all in this together. <laughs> but right. but don't right. don't you dare think about having another child. We don't have the resources on this planet to support that. Right. That is a crime, my friend, (laughs) that you would think to put another hungry mouth, another thirsty body on here. Do you know how much water a human being requires? (laughs) Probably less than that golf course. You feel me? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is how that stuff gets bent. So I I Mm -hmm. agree with you 100%. This is when you start to see... I think there's an agenda going on here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But even if we have consistent access to water, is it even safe drinking water? You're not going to talk about Flint. <laughs> no, I don't even think Flint was in my notes. Oh, okay. But that that since you mentioned it, it's another issue with with Nestle because the the small amount of water that they do have that isn't contaminated, Nestle takes a large portion of that portion of that as well that's wild yeah it's criminal yep yep. when you have people constantly getting sick and dying because of the quality of the water and nestle's just 
pumping the clean water right out. Put it in a bottle. You can buy it from us. It'll be all right. We got your back here. We're here for the community. We're giving back. Right. We're giving you exactly. back your water. <laughs> but we know for a fact that they, being the, the parasite class, are forcing Americans to consume drugs without consent via the water supply. That's a controversial one. It is. It is. But in 1945, Grand Rapids, Michigan, adjusted the fluoride content of its water supply to 1.0 parts per million, thus became the first city to implement community water fluoridation. By 2008, more than 72% of the U.S. population served by public water systems were drinking fluoridated water. Hold on. You said they adjusted. That, that can be taken either way. Would it be more appropriate to say they added? They added. They increased. Okay. Because of pollution and, and other things, there, there could have been very small trace amounts. Okay. That, that were in the water that maybe bypassed their, their filtering system or whatever. But no, they increased fluoride content to one part per million. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then the Center of Disease and Control and Prevention considers fluoridation of water one of the greatest achievements in public health of the 20th century. What? Yep. <laughs> Are you lying? No. The CDC it's, considers it one of the greatest achievements? Yes, fluoridating well, all our water. All of the toxicity and health issues that fluoride provides. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. But... To get into this, we got to know what is fluoride anyway, right? Okay. So for this, we, we need to look at the melon family. That's not to be Judge, confused with melanin. Right. Because okay. they're they're most probably most definitely melanin deficient. <laughs> I didn't see pictures, but I'm guessing. Given the trend of so, things that happens in this country, I would agree. <laughs> Judge Thomas Mellon founded T. Mellon and Sons in the mid-1800s the predecessor of what is now Mellon Bank. His sons, Andrew and Richard, took over the business and largely bankrolled the burgeoning steel industry in Pittsburgh. In the process, they amassed one of the three largest pre-World War I fortunes in the country, along with the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. Mm. The Mellon family turned a patent for cheaper aluminum manufacturing into another company and acquired a deed for the vast spindle-top oil fields in Texas, turning it into Gulf oil. Now, the cheaper aluminum manufacturing came from the hall Herald process. What's that? So this, this process was discovered in 1886 by the American chemist Charles Martin Hall and by the Frenchman Paul Herout in 1888. Okay. Hall also opened the first large-scale aluminum production plant, which joined with the melons and became Alcoa, Inc., Aluminum Company of America. Mm. In this process, AL203, al uh, alumina, is dissolved into molten cryolite. This mixture is then electrolyzed by passing a, uh, a direct current through it. Now, the electrolysis process produces waste gases, and these gases are primarily CO2 and hydrogen fluoride. Hydrogen fluoride is a highly corrosive and toxic gas. So these gases are either treated or just vented out into the atmosphere. The treated hydrogen fluoride is neutralized into its sodium salt, making sodium fluoride. 
And uh, and up until the mass drugging of the U.S. population, Alcoa had to dispose of fluoride by very expensive means. It was it cost them a lot of money to get rid of it once they you know worked it into its salt form from its gas form. Now they actually get paid for this waste product, so the government can put it in our water. That's wild. That's nuts. It reminds me of, um, was it Procter and Gamble and their waste product from uh, cottonseed oil or whatever, Crisco? Are you talking about like the lard? Yeah, because it was their waste product. And really? they had to pay, yeah, they had to pay high money to dispose of it until the dietary or, or the view on, on healthy eating changed in America during. To, because of Ansel Keys and the Seven Nation study, which was a farce. And they're like, oh, look, you can use our waste product instead, and it's going to be much better for you. Okay, so this is a conversation about weather wars. But in this particular aspect of weather wars, it's turning into a food conversation. It, it, it has, because, because water. Right. right, and, and what I'm thinking, though, is like, wow. Like you said earlier, we learn in such compartmentalized fashions, Right. So yes. I haven't realized how much of the food industry's roots is based in waste product consumption. Okay, all of the vegetable yeah. oils that we use, sunflower, uh -huh. rapeseed, raspberries, all that other stuff, it comes from, it's a by, or waste product of petroleum. Um, what do they call that? Not distillation. When you process petroleum, I'm not sure. I can't, I can't help you on this one, bro. I can't think of the term. Sorry. Uh, but it's one of the, the byproducts that happens from the processing of petroleum into other forms like gasoline, diesel, all that, all the other light petroleum products that we make. And mm -hmm. from what I understand, Rockefeller wanted to find something useful for that product. And so he started pushing for vegetable oils to be used in the American diet. Now we have vegetable oil content in everything, soybean, rapeseed, sunflower yeah. oil, all of this stuff that's quote unquote vegetable oil. So it sounds healthy and mm -hmm. it really isn't. It's not something that the body was designed to really run off of. And we've got it in so many products. Yeah. Who would have thought that I, the stuff I, we fry stuff in. Right. Was a waste I was, product. I was just at the grocery store with my son and we were going to hang out and work on the bike. So I was like, you know, we'll get some snacks. I was in there. I thought it felt like I read a novel. I had read the ingredients on so many things and he was so excited every time I picked something up and I was like, nope, can't have that. Can't have that. Can't have that. It's crazy how it's in everything and it's a waste product. Exactly. So is it any wonder then that the American diet, the standard American diet is said to be sad? S -A -D, sad standard American diet. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. It, we, we don't have a healthy food supply because of stuff like this. And then, you know, you add to it, the FDA being compromised the way that it has been and complicit mm -hmm. with these organizations. Nah, it, it's wild, but it gets back to these elements. Right, right. And what we're doing. Because it's not just our food supply, it's our water. Exactly. It's our water as well. And I found an article called Fluoride the Truth by Crystal Clear Water and Air. And it tells us this 
The first use of adding fluoride to drinking water was undertaken by the Nazi party who added it to the drinking water of the ghettos and prison camps. They found that through human experimentation that fluoride actually made people more docile and subservient as well as sterilizing them. So it was an effective way to dominate people while also reducing the population. This is why Germany fluoridated Poland's water supply before they invaded the country. Game, set, match. Right. And people still want to push back and go, why do you make a big deal about fluoridated water? Mm Mm-hmm. Here you go. Right. So it, it, it makes sense that we began to use this product on the American populace right after, like we said before, World War II. 1947, Operation Paperclip. We bought those people yeah. over. We got the brain trust. We said, hey, what were you guys doing over there? Oh, let us tell you. Wonderful, good-natured um, United States government that gave us a home. What would you like to know? Oh, we were poisoning people. Oh, we were putting fluoride in water. <laughs> really? Fluoride in water, you say? Hmm. I think we can find some fluoride. I think I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's crazy because it had been a waste product for 50 years before the Nazis used it. And before we decided to put it in our drinking water. Exactly. That's it's nuts. But it's unfortunately it's not just fluoride that's poisoning us. Okay. The U.S. Geological Survey says that at least 45% of our nation's tap water is contaminated with PFAS, or what some call forever chemicals. So these are toxic chemicals that break down, that take so long to break down that they might as well just last forever. Mm. Yeah. They are a group of synthetic chemicals used in a wide variety of common applications. So like the the linings of fast food boxes, nonstick cookware, uh, firefighting foam, you know, things like that. And high concentrations of some of these PFAS may lead to adverse health risks in people, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. Now, there's over 12,000 different kinds of PFAS chemicals, but the USGS in this study, they only tested for 32. They tested uh, water collected directly from people's kitchens, kitchen sinks across the nation, providing the most comprehensive study to date on PFAS in tap water from both private wells and public supplies. And 45% of it is contaminated. But that's only testing for 32 out of 12,000 different chemicals. Right. And if you're wondering how these chemicals could end up in private wells, well, we have to touch back to cloud seeding like we talked about. Because whatever elements that they're putting into the clouds is going to rain down and drain into the wells. So beyond the uh, the official narrative of cloud seeding, like we talked about, the eight you know approved chemicals for causing rain or whatever, um, there's the issue of chemtrails, mm. and there's been there's been many independent tests that show that there's an increase in toxic chemicals in in the land and water following these chemtrail springs. And only some of them that showed up in this test were barium, cadmium, nickel, mold spores, yellow fungal myco- mycotoxins, and radioactive thorium. Huh, that sounds spicy. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little warm. Like, I like my spicy food, but I don't know about that hot. I mean, that, if y'all uh, can just get a little yellow fungal myococcus on there, you know, that, that'll really spice us up. So I like my chickens. 
<laughs> That's how you like your poultry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we know recently Bill Gates tried to to block out the sun by the same method of spraying chemicals into the atmosphere, right? What the right? hell are you talking about? I haven't heard about this. You didn't hear about that? No. Yeah, there was a there was a big thing that Gates was trying to help prevent climate change by spraying aluminum or some type of metal that would reflect the sun's rays back into outer space to help reduce the um, the warming that is happening on our planet. Uh, and every time, every time I hear it, I go right to Morpheus from the Matrix. It's like, we don't know what year it is, but we do know it was us that scorched the sun or whatever, scorched the, the sky. And I'm like, they told us. They told us back then. Yo, it's, it gets wilder and wilder, man. I mean, here we got on one hand, we don't want to have a nuclear winter because... Of course, it's going to block out the sunlight and we're all plant wise going to die. And so humanity, you know, we don't want Yellowstone to blow up because of the super volcano. It's going to affect not only this country, but the entire world blocking out the sun with that much mm -hmm. ash release. But you know what we should do to stop climate change? We should just hear me out now. We should try blocking out the sun. I hear it's <laughs> going to have wonderful results. And after all, I design windows, so I know about all of this. Right. <laughs> wild yeah it's it's absolutely crazy so yeah i think the re the way that those synthetic chemicals end up in people's private wells and things is chemtrails okay and there's uh i found a website where you can actually put in your zip code and find out what was found in your water it's Ooh. ewg tap water database i'll put a link in our show notes but that is disturbing you put in your zip code and then you can pick like what uh, if, if your if your zip code is so big that there's multiple companies supplying water, you pick one of those companies and it'll tell you what was found and the standard. Like we found this chemical at this much above what the healthy standard is. It's interesting. Uh, and you I, should I, have told me that. <laughs> are you are you punching it in? I'm already there. <laughs> Okay. <sighs> this is depressing. What what they find in your water, bro? Man, dude, there are at least 13 chemicals that exceed recommended safe levels that's found in our water. Like you got to be <laughs> kidding me. It is not a fun road to walk down, let me tell you. Let me check uh the surrounding area. Yep, even there there's the same 13 chemicals that exceed recommended values. Okay. Do are any of them recognizable that you can just shoot them out? Uh, we've got 151 times the amount of bromium dichloromethane that we should have. That sounds wonderful. Okay. 68 times the amount of chloroform. That sounds good. Oh my goodness. We've got 299 <laughs> times the amount of haleoacetic acid, um, specifically HAA5, which is known to cause cancer. And then we're sitting at a what? 364 times the amount of haleoacidic acid, HAA9, which is also a known carcinogen. Jeez. I mean, total trihaleomethanes is sitting at an astronomical, mind-boggling, 275 times the amount of safe value in our water. Dude, this is blowing my mind. Like, I, I don't want to watch this no more. <laughs> I, I can't read this information. I don't even know what to do with it, bro. 
Man, I'm gonna mess around and now you want to finish the rest of this freaking episode. Man, that was too much truth, too fast. I don't even know what to do with it. My mind. Sorry, bro. Oh my Sorry. goodness. <laughs> yeah, and you never get alerted to it, but they they find it in the water. That's for sure. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. So it seems pretty clear at this point, at least to me, that the parasite class is using water to aid in their globalist goals to reduce the population, to make us more docile, to make us unwell and dependent on the pharmaceutical industrial complex, all for control and to make way for their antichrist. And we know eventually there is a lake of fire that they will dwell in for all eternity. But speaking of fire, they got nothing to do with California. (laughs) I knew where you was going. Man, that's wild. I thought it was kind of clever. (laughs) <laughs> That's messed up. Any of our California listeners, you you blame that last little jab on Christopher. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but yeah, so we talked about air. We talked about water. Now we're talking about fire. Okay. So California wildfire averages. Five-year average for California wildfires is the number of fires is 7,874. Acres burned in a five-year average, 1,223,831. Fire suppression cost is over $590 million. Structures destroyed, 1,274. Gee whiz. Yeah. And of the 18,000 California fires that sprang to life from 2003 to 2020, 380 of them included at least one day when they grew at least 10 thousand acres in a day an area almost as big as manhattan okay that's crazy yeah absolutely crazy but my question is if we were able to cause snow and hail in the 40s and increase the rainfall in vietnam why are we not at least trying to do this in california using three separate search engines i couldn't find a single article about how we're using our weather manipulation to help california wildfires not even not even that we're trying and it failed and we keep trying. There's no information out there that we're using our weather manipulation technology to help California. And it's crazy. Hmm. Makes you seem yeah. like there's a there's a like you said, an agenda for why they don't want to do it. Right, exactly. And if cloud seeding is the most common form of weather tech and it's designed to cause rain then why is this not a huge factor in at least attempts to to deal with the devastation? I So in fairness, I, I went into this kind of open-minded, not just wanting to bash the government for everything that they do, right? Okay. Maybe rain wouldn't help. Like wildfires are pretty crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little bit of rain on a wildfire might not be able to do much. My dad was a, um, he was a firefighter in the army. And unfortunately he wasn't around to ask. So I had to do a little research of my own, a little independent research to borrow a a Spearsian term. Yes. Yes. And in an article by the Santa Cruz Sentinel, they had this to say, the first atmospheric river storm of the season is forecast to hit Northern California on Sunday and Monday bringing much-needed help fighting fires in remote, rugged areas near the Oregon border and that have sent smoke wafting to the Bay Area. 
The storm, powering in from the North Pacific, will mostly hit the far northern reaches of the state, bringing two to three inches of rain in Eureka and other communities, forecasters said. There's a wet storm coming, said Marty Ralph, director of the Center of Western Weather and Water Extremes at UC San Diego. It should be largely beneficial, and it's going to be fairly long, lasting over 48 hours. All that rain will slow the fires substantially, but also douse their smoke. It may not fully extinguish these fires, said Daniel Swain, a climate scientist at UCLA. A lot of the fires burning up there right now are in heavy, heavy timber, but it really will dramatically reduce fire activity. And if it's followed up by another rain event, that might really be the end of fire season up there. So rain would help. Hmm. If two to three inches over a 48-hour period would make a significant change, then the taxic, the, the taxic, oh my gosh, the tactics to extend rain for 30 to 45 days would be more than enough. Unfortunately, the only information I could get about weather and uh, weather manipulation um, and connection was blaming climate change. Sorry. Let me start over. Please. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only information I could get about the weather in connection to all of this was blaming climate change. Ah, you'd expect that. Right. Except for, luckily enough, I found one, one little tidbit. And uh, this research was, was done to show that manipulation could actually be the cause not something we're doing to help. Now that's an interesting idea. Right. And this w- it would make sense if they're trying to blame cli- climate change in order to enact, you know, further legislation and control. They they have to have examples, right? Mhm. So, it would make sense we have weather modification techniques. Well, let's just use that and and make an example out, out of California. So, in a 2018 publication of the Journal of Geography, Environment and Earth Science International. There was an article titled California Wildfires, Role of Undisclosed Atmospheric Manipulation in Geoengineering by J. Marvin Hendren and Mark Whitesides. The beginning of this abstract, it says that in this review, we aim to reveal an unrecognized source of causality leading to the increase in combustibility intensity, and the extent of California, United States of America wildfires, and the contaminant harm to humans and environmental health. We review literature, including scientific and medical, and evidence, including photographic of near-daily, near-global jet-spraying particles in the atmosphere as related to wildfires. We review the evidence that atmospheric manipulation utilizing aerosolized coal fly ash as a primary factor in the extent of severity of forest fires in California and elsewhere. Adverse effects include exacerbation of drought, tree and vegetation die-off, and desiccation, and unnaturally heating the atmosphere and surface regions of the earth. All right, now put that into context. Like, what does that mean? Well, it appears that we are using weather manipulation in California, but not for the betterment of the people. It's exactly like we said. Okay. That these people doing research show, are they 
their evidence being scientific evidence, medical evidence, photographic evidence um, of jet spraying particulates and what they were using and the effects that it has on the land. It makes it more combustible, causes vegetation die off. All of this leads to the wildfire issues that we have in California. So we are doing weather manipulation, but it's not to help California. That's why you don't hear about it. It's actually to help exacerbate the fire issues that they're having out there. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Does that kind of put it in context? Yeah. Okay. And I think the history of wildfires is even crazier than that if we're talking about human manipulation of them. Remember the uh, the Great Fire, uh, Great Chicago Fire of 1871? Heard of it. Don't remember. Yeah, they... So, <laughs> you weren't there? No, no, I wasn't there. <laughs> well, they say it was due to dry weather and, you know, Miss O'Leary's cow knocking over a lamp. Okay. They also said it was poor construction and wooden sidewalks that allowed this fire to spread with such veracity. Thankfully, though, they've, they've officially let the cow and the O'Leary's off the hook for the fire. It definitely <laughs> wasn't them. But what they don't tell you is that at least five other major cities around Lake Michigan suffered major fires that exact same day. Okay, that's weird. Like, that doesn't normally happen. It doesn't normally happen. And it should it should sound suspicious to anyone that's listening. Okay. Matt T. from The Great Deception, he's got a great, I think, three or four-part series on, on the fires. And he has firsthand accounts, possible theories on what it might be. But it's definitely not just the um, Chicago fire. It should be the Lake Michigan fires. So it's interesting, even going back 1871, predates some of the weather manipulation that we had talked about up until this point. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it definitely ties in. They've been using fire in one way or another for, for quite some time. But let's fast forward to just the modern issues that we have today. Recently, Canada caught on fire to such a point that we had, like you were saying earlier, weeks of smoke that looked like fog or haze. And I've never seen that before in my life. Did you know there was a TikTok that showed 10 separate fires all starting at the same time? No. Yeah. And this was satellite footage and it looked pretty damning. So I did some research and apparently the official narrative is that this, this is normal for several different lightning strikes to start many different fires over the course of a storm. And then when the wind picks up in the heat of the day, the fires intensify all at the same time. Apparently this is normal, but I've read and listened to the explanation. I've watched the satellite footage several times and it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, for one, why hasn't this been addressed before? If this is a normal way that wildfires occur, you know, and if it is this afternoon wind, then shouldn't it ignite the fires in a wave? Like as the front comes in, that's what I would think. It, it doesn't. If you watch the satellite footage, it's at least 10 spots on the map all at the same exact time start smoking and smoldering. Interesting. It's, it's, it's crazy. Where'd you say you found this? Uh, I can send a TikTok to you. Um, it, it's, it's pretty well circulated, but he, he, he fast forwards and goes over the satellite footage. I'm not, he's like, look at this, man. Um, I'm not either. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on YouTube, but the, this, the several news pages that I found or like counter conspiratorial sites had it up like a link to TikTok or whatever through their page. Okay. So that's how I watched it. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, send it, it over to me, man. That'd be dope. Okay. I'll send it to you. Thanks. It, it, it's crazy. 
But then we have, like you had mentioned earlier again, the Rhodes fires in Greece and the Maui fires that are very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Bo- both places were selected to be 15-minute cities, but they had issues with gaining the land rights. But now due to the recent changes in legislation and these coincidental fires, the government is able to seize the land. And I've been saying from the beginning, if they really want to debunk these conspiracy theories, then just don't take the land. That would be the easiest way. You know what I mean? Exactly. But But if you're trying to push somebody out, we see this happen a lot of times when, you know, private residents have got their their paws on property that corporations or rich people want. You got to find ways to push them out. A little disaster, a break in. You know, crime rates go up. Uh, we don't know how your pipe bursts. So sorry. You know, repairs will be more than what the building's worth. You might as well just let it go. We'll build a highway through your neighborhood. You know, right. whatever it takes right. just to get these resources. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. And it seems like the government's playing ball the same way. Right. So the best way to prove us wrong is just don't take the land. But I don't think they're going to take you up on that offer. Let me guess. I don't think so either. They take the land, don't they? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to shake out because there's still a lot of controversy about Maui and Greece, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's not like the U.S. government didn't take Hawaii to begin with. Right. Mm. That's a whole other thing. Isn't it though? It really is. Believe it or not, we don't have the time to talk about it. We we don't. (laughs) That'll be another episode. Exactly. Even if the government isn't going to take the land, they, they still their motives are still suspect. Did you know that um, there was a pact in 2019 signed by six Nobel Prize winning scientists as well as 1,600 others uh, that we are not suffering uh, a climate catastrophe. It's just the Earth going through warming and cooling phases. I've heard of this. I've heard it's not yeah, conclusive. It's not well. Of course, it's it's not conclusive. But it's taught like it is. I mean, the narrative is is such that this is this is science. This is undisputable. Stop, you know, pushing back against this. This is the facts. What? what sorry. What? Which thing isn't conclusive? Climate. Climate change, change or yeah. the pact? Climate change. Okay. Okay. Because sorry. There are several prominent scientists that have gone right, on right. record, as you were saying, stating that this is not a thing. Right, right. Gotcha. Sorry, I just got I got confused there for a second. Oh, no problem. But the intent to manufacture a case for climate change by setting things on fire seems like a pretty good motivation, even if they don't take the land. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they're doing in, in California. Climate change allows them to gain control of our behaviors as well as fear and compliance from the general population. And uh, quick sidebar, I thought it was interesting in doing the research that there seems to be a consensus from scientific organizations, but not scientists about climate change. You know what I mean? Interesting. Into the mainstream narrative. Right. Because scientific organizations have a much greater chance of being led by money rather than independent scientists. Right. And I, I found that distinction several places I was, I was doing research. I was like, okay, that I'm going to take note of that for sure. No, that's good. And uh, there's a there's a map out there. I think you might have sent me uh, a reel or something on Instagram. But there's a map out there showing all the places in the world that are on fire at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I couldn't find it for this episode because I at least wanted to get a screenshot or a link that people could go to it. And I, I couldn't find it for, for this purpose. But if there's any listeners out there that, that 
know what I'm talking about and know how to find that link, we'd greatly appreciate you, you know, sending it over to us. Let's talk at orppodcast.com. That would be awesome. But all of the sustainable development goals and, and, and so much global cooperation is centered around this idea of, of climate change. And it's kind of scary, especially when we see uh, that they do nothing to assist the issues that don't help their agenda, just like California. You know, Dubai was using drones to help fight wildfires there. In California? Did you hear about that? Not, no, in Dubai. Dubai was using Dubai drones to help wildfires in Dubai. <laughs> Definitely sorry. had the wrong takeaway from that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, but, but why I didn't know about that. Yeah, and, and apparently it was, it was relatively successful. I didn't know that there were drone-based firefighters. I didn't either. I don't even know how you get but the water see, in the drone. That's like super fascinating. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So again, I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but why aren't we exhausting our efforts if we're talking about thousands and thousands of wildfires in California and millions of acres that are being burned? Why are we not trying our best to do something about it? You know, from, from a weather manipulation standpoint. Have you heard about Agenda 21? I've heard of it. Okay, one of the things that they were trying to do with that agenda was to redistribute habitable and inhabitable zones. So places where people okay. could actually be, even rural areas, where they could live versus where they can't. I'm not sure if maybe this wildfire stuff is not being utilized to create permanent uninhabitable zones. I mean, you're already out in the wilderness of of California. And it's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty rough bush out there. But okay. if it's all burnt down, it'd be easy to be like, hey, this is just not a good place for people to be and start pushing that. And you could extend it into other areas as the fire extends. Interesting. So I'm no, not that sure makes a lot that's of sense. exactly what's being done, but it's definitely something on my radar because one way or another, you're going to have to start pushing people into these rezoned habitable spaces right because that's what's going to help push your 15 minute cities that's what's going to help push your subterranean developments it's what's going to also help push small living quarters right the micro okay. homes mm-hmm. people living on top of people the mega city idea you gotta start right. somewhere so if we already have polluted air and then you have on top of that, well, the water here is, is drying up and we don't have enough water to support people. Oh, and there are fires out here in the neighboring area. You would just be safe over here in this mega city. And we all know what That's happens when people get on top of people. I mean, they produce more Babies people. Babies are made. Exactly. <laughs> what I was going to say, <laughs> crime... <laughs> <laughs> Crime increases. That, that too. That too. Right. And sometimes that leads to babies. Yeah, hey. It does, yeah. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Where where God says the people are to spread out over the surface of the earth. Mm-hmm. Those that are hostile to God do the exact opposite. Nope. We don't want them spread out. We want them living on top of each other. Stack right. them up. And and everywhere that happens, crime escalates. It does. It yeah. does. That that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't pieced that into Agenda 21. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. No, no problem, man. Yeah, so so that leaves one last element for us to look at for this episode, which is Earth itself. You know, you can call it the ground, real estate, however you want to classify it. 
that's what we're going to get into. So those in the conspiracy community, you know, we've been talking... The Spearsian community. Uh, yeah, we're uh, just going to rewrite the whole no, thing. None of my peoples have been talking about this, man. How do you know? <laughs> because I keep my ear low to the ground. There's a few of us stacked on top of each other, not in the way you were thinking originally. And <laughs> I'm able to hear what people are talking about. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> no, so those in the conspiracy community, we've been talking about the corporate uh, buyout of land, right? Yeah. In, in America, and it's interesting to find out the issue is larger than that. Okay. You know, I, I I found this thing that happened when I was doing research for this episode, that there was like American happenings and then global happenings. Mm. And I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't like that specific dichotomy. Right. It's like me and then the rest of the world. I'm like, I really got to get better at getting a, a holistic look at everything and, and the uh, constituent parts of the everywhere else that's not America. It's hard I, when you're on the imperial system. Yeah. Because you forget everybody else is on a metric. Yeah. You know, before you you were reading out like how many tons of silver iodide or whatever they sprinkled. It was uh-huh. like 180 pounds or something like that. Or 82 kilograms. I was like, there's that much of a difference between our system and theirs. Like 82 yeah. sounds a lot more reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. It, when you get put into that mindset, you don't think mm-hmm. about the rest. So I, I'm right there with you. It's It takes okay. a, an increased effort to try to get a global perspective. It does. Especially right. when you're, I hate to say it this way, but when you're an American, you're just yeah. not trained to care about everybody else. See, here at Operation Red Pill, we try to take a different approach. We try to, to realize that Satan hates everybody. Right. We try right. to find out what's going on with that. <laughs> yeah, it's not just Americans. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I found this article by Oxfam.com, and this was interesting to me. Okay. It says that in the past decade, more than 81 million acres of land worldwide, an area the size of Portugal, has been sold off to foreign investors. Some of these deals are what's known as land grabs, land deals that happen without the free, prior, and informed consent of communities that often result in farmers being forced from their homes and families left hungry. The term land grabs was actually defined in the Tirana Declaration of 2011 by the International Land Coalition, which cons- consists of 116 organizations for the community groups to the World Bank. What? I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> The 2008 spike in food prices triggered a rush in land deals. While these large-scale land deals are supposedly being struck to grow food, the crops grown on the land rarely feed local people. Instead, the land is used to grow profitable crops like sugarcane, palm oil, and soy, often for export. In fact, more than 60% of crops grown on land bought by foreign investors in developing countries are intended for export instead of for feeding the local communities. Worse still, two-thirds of these agricultural land deals are in countries with serious hunger problems. Oh, and if, really? It's crazy. If you remember in our Food Wars episode, we talked about the toxicity of sugar, palm oil, and soy. Mm-hmm. So not only are they committing these atrocities to developing nations, but they're doing it. The the corporate parasites are starving out developing nations to poison the food for everyone else. Sounds like an agenda, bro. Sounds it like a sounds war. like an agenda. It, it's insane. 
So here in America, things are a little bit different. We often talk about the land that Bill Gates Bill Gates owns because he's one of the largest private landowners, right? Yep. But I found a, some interesting information with him and other people that own mass amounts of land. So Bill Gates owns 275,000 acres, roughly equal to the size of Hong Kong. So Bill Gates and his Red River Trust hold a substantial land portfolio spanning 275,000 acres north of Dakota farmland. Okay. And it's, it's pretty unsettling consider his influence and his focus on population control. Right. But there's people that own more than Gates. The Collins family, they own 370,000 acres, which is roughly equal to twice the size of Chicago. The late Truman Collins was a lumberman who became the largest private landowner in Pennsylvania before his death in 1914. Today, his living family members own 370,000 acres of land in Northern California and Western Pennsylvania. Now, this is interesting because the Collins are an Illuminati bloodline family. I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised to see their name, you know, in the spotlight. Usually they use subsidiaries to hide their influence and power. Okay. But they're just, they're right there on the list. But then we have the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, 420,000 acres, roughly equal to three times the size of Guam. Amazon founder and outgoing CEO Jeff Bezos is not only one of the richest men in the world with a net worth of $169 billion, but he also is, he is also one of the biggest private landowners in the United States. Bezos owns his 420,000 acres, and much of this land is in West Texas. Wow. Stranger than that, I found that Ted Turner owns 2 million acres roughly equal to twice the size of Rhode Island. The CNN founder Ted Turner owns 2 million acres of land, largely in New Mexico, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Georgia. Now, much of Ted Turner's land is used for gazing, uh, grazing land for the 50,000 head of buffalo, the largest private bison herd in the world. Huh, that I didn't know. Do you know who the largest landowner is in the United States? Who? This guy named John Malone, and he owns okay. 2.2 million acres, the single largest landowner. Who is this Malone guy? Used to be in the telecommunications industry. Really? Yeah, he was, used to be a CEO of a company called TCI before they sold it to AT&T for about $50 billion. Most of his stuff okay. was used for, for, for uh, crop growth. Interesting. A lot of corn on his lands. But that, that is a lot of a lot of acreage. It was interesting to find this out though, because Bill Gates is normally the poster child of the person who owns the most. Right. And, like, and no. he's kind of far down the list. Exactly. As long as this list is current. Right. I think it's relatively current. I don't okay. think it's 2023. I'd say within the last five years, probably five, maybe no. ten. No, went to look up uh, when this when that article was written. 2023, September 14th. Oh, so it's dead on. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah. I think we should be concerned about this type of concentration of power, right? The, and the threat that it poses here. Yeah, because that 2.2 million acres is like half the size of Lake Ontario. Yeah, it's and a lot. I think lot. the largest landowner, you're, you're talking 2.4 million acres. It's like the third the size of Hawaii. The Emerson family. Mm-hmm. 
The, yeah. These are huge chunks of land. Right. But I think there's there's still a a, a larger, at least more imminent or direct threat to us in the in the immediate. Okay. We've mentioned it before and we'll continue to bring it up. BlackRock. Yeah. BlackRock's real estate investments are primarily made through its subsidiary, Blackstone Real Estate Partners, and is one of the largest real estate private equity firms in the world with $106 billion in assets under management as of 2019. Now, BlackRock's real estate portfolio includes office, retail, industrial, hotel, and residential properties. But as of 2019, BlackRock owned $33.6 billion worth of residential real estate, making it the largest owner of residential real estate in the world. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's just what's on the books officially. Nathan was saying, you know, my brother Nathan, he was saying that there are laws to restrict BlackRock from owning a monopoly of real estate. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't prevent BlackRock from opening companies and funding them outside of their $33.6 billion and have them buy up real estate. And he said that's happening at, at record levels as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think this plays right into what the WEF says, right? That we will own nothing and be happy. This is part of the plan. BlackRock has purchased entire neighborhoods and then rents them out rents out the individual houses to families. Yeah, it's that's been a lot here, even in our market. What do you mean? In Ohio, that's been happening a lot. I wasn't sure what you meant by our market. There's several different groups at play that we could be talking. Employers, skin color. No, <laughs> I no, didn't know our, exactly our, what you meant. Uh, our, our real estate market. It could have been clearer on that. Okay. Well, there's a company called Tricon. I'm not 100% sure if they're owned by BlackRock, but Tricon Residential alone saw 67% growth in 2022. <laughs> That's a crazy amount of growth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In a year. I mean, but in a, in a year. Yeah. That's insane. I'd like, I'd like to see Operation Red Pill grow 67% in a year. I'd like to lose 67%. But that's just me, personally. <laughs> nah, I'm just Uh That's funny. That's oh, funny. Man. But yeah, between Maui and Rhodes and the, the mass buying of property, not to mention if you don't pay your property taxes, they take your land anyway. So mm-hmm. you're really just renting it from the government anyway. Yep. The, the potential for a free people is diminishing quickly. Exactly. But Jason, let me ask you this. With, with everything that we've gone over, what... What would you say is the Operation Red Pill takeaway from all this? You know, how do we take this data and translate it into useful information that informs our thinking moving forward? Okay, see, that is like the million dollar question, right? Because it's easy to have a conversation like this and just be inundated with the information, which in and of itself is a lot to process. (laughs) Right. But figuring out, okay, how does that apply to how does it apply to you know the spiritual walk is this just stuff where i just put it in my back pocket i mean we talked about weather wars we got cloud seeding we we've got water being taken up we've we've got fires happening we've have uh people buying up real estate we've got private landowners that are you know 
taking huge chunks of land under personal um, control. So what? Like, what do you do with all of that? Why is that Mm -hmm. even important? I think, bro, it's important to remember this. First off, ORP is built on this idea of a satanic control matrix, right? Mm -hmm. That's this idea. I mean, people have heard us talk about it before, but we get listeners from all over, so it's not bad to, to reiterate it. But this idea yeah. that there's a system of control that's built out over the entire planet, focusing first on the individual, utilizing a compromised educational system, funneling that individual into larger social control groups, and then utilizing those control groups to war against each other, normally based on mind control tactics that ultimately, man, they're just satanic in their nature. And then you take those control groups that are fighting and you funnel them into a global apparatus of control that you could call the world order system. And the idea is that Satan's controlling all of that. Like these are big game moves here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, many of us have gone through this compromised educational system, right? We've been subjected to demonic thinking bought to us part and parcel by the enlightenment era. And most of us, when we found that out, it's just like, who cares? I'm trying to go to recess. Like, why does that matter? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh But it is really important because the notion is you're in an educational system that now has the benefit of being enlightened. Believe me, whatever we teach you, This is, we're out of the dark ages. We are into the light. We are going places. And it's a very subtle shift in truth. Because you have to ask yourself, who's light? This is where Mm -hmm. holography comes into play. Now, for those who've never heard that term, holography is the study of holograms. And one of the most interesting things that, that we know Science has shown us that we live in a holographic universe. Now, hologram mm-hmm. is a two-dimensional picture that represents a three-dimensional image when certain light is shown on it. It'll have three-dimensional information. And it's really cool because it exists in a limited dimensional reality, but it expresses a larger dimensional reality than what it's situated in. But that only happens if the right light is shined on it, okay, you have to, when you're, when you're making a hologram, there's a specific frequency light that you use. If you use a different light, you get what's called a false image. When it comes to okay. the enlightenment era, the light that was used was not the light of Christ or the light of creation. It was the light of Lucifer. We can't forget Lucifer is called a light bearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? that's what the term Lucifer means. It's actually a title and not a a proper name. Right, right. So he's bearing a, a light. He's called the Morning Star. Interesting thing is he stole that title. Jesus Christ is also called the Morning Star. Huh. Right, but but Lucifer takes the light, contaminated it, and when he shines his light on society, we get a re view of our world because it's not the light that created it. Interesting. This is huge. 
It is. Absolutely profound. Because we're going through an educational system that is teaching us things from the wrong perspective. It's teaching us Luciferian ideas. You follow That's me? That's crazy. Yeah, I am. Because I've heard of holography before and I've brought it up. When, when I saw, the, saw it in the note, I was like, yes, I had never um, applied the signs of holography to the Renaissance and how it affects the education system. Like you're, you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's dope, that's, man. That's it's hard to blow your mind, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's great. So, so here, here we have now this reductionist view that's further entrenched into social thinking when it comes to the study of understanding our reality, because we're going to look at reality based on physics. And we're mm-hmm. going to separate physics into two sections, quantum and Newtonian. Now, that divided understanding of reality into natural or supernatural categories uh, caused us to become more naturally minded. And we begin to discard supernatural realities. That will be in line with accepting more of a Newtonian view of life. This okay. produced what, what, what philosophers and theologians call naturalism. The idea that nature is all there is, right? Okay. And this, yeah, yeah. by extension, then leads to humanism. So pretty much, not as na- not only is nature the only thing that there is or all there is, when it comes to us having to solve problems, we're not looking beyond nature. We're going to just look to the smartest organism, which, yeah, believe it or not, it's going to be us. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Right. So everything uh-huh. becomes from a humanistic perspective on things. This is getting problematic. When you start looking at things from a humanistic perspective, you forget spiritual realities. You know, our government reinforced this through our education. So much so that even the concept of government to us is really the outworking of human affairs filtered through politics. You know, if you, it's not, where, no, the concept of government extends way, way outside the earthly realm. Governments okay. existed prior to the creation of humanity. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Only if you accept a supernatural worldview. If you accept a naturalistic worldview, then that's going to be a bit of a misnomer to you. Okay. But we clearly see in scripture, God has a government. Right? We see his enemy set up a government. Right. There are councils in these governments. That 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 is a crazy shift from something that we were born into to something that we created at our own hand. That's interesting. And that's kind of the way we look at it, like we've made this. This is our thing, and it's not. We are we are borrowing capital from entities that we don't even want to acknowledge their existence. It's a wild idea. That's fascinating. You just keep, where have you been the whole episode? <laughs> I was, I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was co-hosting. No, that's, that's good, man. That's fantastic. So here's, here's the thing. You know, we, we, we talked about these, these areas. We, we talked about the earth and what was happening, right? With land grabs. Uh-huh. We talked about, what was happening with fire and, and wildfires and things like that. We talked about what's happening with water being 
being uh, reallocated and, and being seized by water barons. And we talked about what was happening in an atmospheric level. But what's not really apparent to most people, which is answering the question, what do you do with all this information? You have to have a mind shift. You have to have a paradigm change to recognize what we've really been talking about are various battles in a war that is being fought over at least four different sectors. Earth, okay. fire, water, and air. Now, this is huge because what this represents are the, the core elements of creation. What other belief systems call elementals or elemental kingdoms. And this, okay. this existence of elementals, while it seems really strange to Western ears or Christian ears, it actually mm-hmm. is a universally acknowledged reality in almost every major belief system. Unfortunately, we don't talk about it much in the church. Yeah. But what's I'm, I'm crazy, not super familiar. Sorry. Not no, to no, no, you no. Off. You're good. You're good. What's crazy is that our sacred texts talk about it. We just don't talk about it. Huh. Okay. Right? So, but you'll, you'll find this stuff in, 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 in Hinduism. They deal with five elementals. You'll find it in okay. Buddhism. They deal with four elements. Japanese philosophies, they, they have the five greats. Even in astrology with the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And let, let me go on record because I know some people hear me just say Zodiac and they go, huh? At ORP, we do not endorse the Zodiac astrology, you know, horoscopes, any of that stuff. Right. We don't endorse that, but we do do our research to understand how does some of this play into the thinking of modern man. And even in, in the Zodiac, with the 12 signs, they're broken up into four quadrants. Earth, fire, air, and water. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Exactly. We even see this programming included in the satanic mind control mechanisms of movies and TV. Okay. First hit, as soon as I was doing this research, I said, you have got to be kidding me. I thought about Captain Planet. Okay. You got you remember Captain Planet? Uh I didn't really watch it a whole lot. I was aware of it, okay. but it didn't get swept into the following of it. I believe it's a nineties cartoon for those who aren't familiar. I don't think it's eighties. Okay. I think it's a nineties cartoon that basically dealt with utilizing these five elements in order to bring about this savior who would fight pollution and save the planet. And you hear it <laughs> even in their theme song. Take a listen. Your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. He's our powers magnified. And he's fighting on the planet side. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Gonna help him put asunder. Bad guys who like to lose. Sorry, I just went back to being a kid. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, dude, we watch, I watch Captain Planet all the time. I had no idea really what I was being indoctrinated with. But if you notice, there, there were the five elements right there. 
Right. And they produce right. this God, this super, this superhero. Well, we That's see crazy. that in other places. We see okay. the five, four or five elements coming together to produce a superhero. Think about it. The movie Fifth Element. That's one of my favorite movies. One of mine too, but for all the wrong reasons. Not for this. <laughs> but the right. Not, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, not for the whole elemental aspect. Right, but the whole movie's built on that. It is. You know, the five stones that they're or the four stones that they're trying to protect. Once they finally get them into a temple, which is essentially where they went. It wasn't just a cave. They went to a temple, right? And they had to put these stones on the on the altars that had the corresponding shapes to them. And once they did it, they still couldn't figure out like how to open it. And it took the element that the stone represented in order to activate the stone. Okay. So they had to get some actual dirt and sprinkle on the one for earth. Mm -hmm. They had to have a flame and, and light it for the one for fire. They had a little small drop of water for the, for the one for water and for the one for air, you just breathe. Right. But what did it do? It combined into a fifth element, and the fifth element brought the savior, the weapon that was supposed to defeat ultimate evil. Interesting. The whole I'm, movie. I'm starting to I'm starting to put together a, a a picture here. Yeah, the whole movie is based on you know a Hindu belief system. Interesting. You don't get that with Bruce Willis and I forget the girl's name. Mila Jovovich. I call her Bada Boom. <laughs> that's, that's all she says in the movie Bye now, boom. oh that's funny <laughs> that's her name to me but yeah you don't get that with that now here's another movie um, I think this is one of the first times I came in contact and recognized the term elemental was in the movie Riddick with Vin Diesel okay this old lady comes by she's like in a in an ethereal form kind of like air and he pulls out his knife and holds it up. And he was like, and whose throat does this belong to? And she's an air elemental. Okay. And I was like, what are these elemental things? I, I don't get it. But it huh. shows up in another film. Okay. The Last Airbender. Yeah. Every one of those, those sections of people he fights against, they all come under one of these banners. Right, right. And he's supposed to be the one, I think, who can manipulate them all. Right. That's what, what makes him the Avatar. Exactly. See, now, now you go into Avatar, that's a totally different thing. <laughs> right? But he's manipulating these, these elements. Here's what's wild to me, man. You, we said a moment ago, this concept is, is really a universal concept. You look at, at witchcraft here in the West, and one of the most prominent types of witchcraft would be Wicca, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what they have as their symbol is a five-pointed star broken up into, into equal sections with a pentagram in the middle. Okay? Okay. And then a circle around it. What's fascinating is that each of those sectors represent five elementals. Really? They do. They, they, they represent air, fire, water, earth, and spirit. And what's even crazier, if you take that symbol, right in the middle of it is a pentagon. 
the same shape that's used for our Department of Defense, which was constructed huh. in 1940. Well, I think the, uh, the the whole thing was was approved 1947. Okay. During the National Security Act. Right. That's right. when it changed from the Department of War to Department of Defense. But this symbol of a pentagram is the most prominent symbol of our nation. We have stars everywhere. Everywhere. We do. Yeah. And we know that this is a pagan nation. It's our, they stated it, Treaty of Tripoli. In no yeah. uncertain terms is this, is the United States government based on the Christian religions. What they stated and they ratified it. They've never congressionally overturned that ratification. Which means it's still on the books. It still is not a Christian nation. So when it's using symbols, you've got to ask what's the esoteric meaning of these symbols. And here they are right. utilizing a pentagram that has embedded in its meaning these five elements. That is not an accident. In fact, that same star is what is the, the main star minus the circle that goes around the star. But the, the five-point star itself is the principal symbol of the um, Eastern stars, which are the sister organization of the Freemasons. Okay, okay. So this stuff is embedded. This whole idea of elements is embedded in, in our, our universal reality. When you start knowing what to look for, you start seeing it. This elemental kingdom is huge. In fact, the elemental kingdom is so big, even God himself, who I would argue created the elemental kingdom, he mm -hmm. uses the elements as a form of expressing, expressing aspects of his nature to us. You're like, what are you talking about? Right. How do you mean? God refers to himself as a consuming fire. He also okay. refers to himself as living waters. He also calls himself the rock. He also refers to himself as a mighty rushing wind. Interesting. He created the elemental kingdoms. They are being hijacked and used against us. Now, where does all of this go? This goes into a conversation about identity. Now, I'm still piecing some of the stuff together, man. People who find this interesting, you really want more on this, go to BrideMinistries.com. They have a 10, 12-part series on elements and the sons of God. Fascinating stuff. You can dig into it. Unfortunately, I've only got 10 to 12 minutes. So <laughs> I got to condense this. And, and I'm still going through that material. But I would definitely say head out there. Fascinating stuff. Here was the big takeaway when we're talking about elements and and under understanding the elemental realm, you know, those four realms, earth, water, fire, air, those are critical realms that do affect the things that happen on the planet. And I find it interesting that even Jesus himself demonstrated mastery over those realms. Okay. He comes in walking on, on water in the midst of a thunderstorm, right? Okay. You know that thunderstorm had lightning. Right. So that's fire and water right there that okay. he demonstrates mastery over. He descends into the earth, right? Right. Not many people have gone into the earth before. <laughs> Only one has come back up. Okay. 
And then mastery over the air, he ascends to heaven right through the air. Interesting. Even he makes use of these. Again, I say that he's, he's created these kingdoms. I think that here's what I was getting to. The real reason that this is so important is it really affects how we see ourselves within the scope of creation. Like what was man put here for in the first place? Okay. Were we put here just to tender garden? No. I mean, that what, what Adam was doing when he first got here? I mean, part of what he was doing, sure. Problem is when we read that, we, we think of him as a, <laughs> as a gardener. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. Adam's a glorified gardener. Cool. But he didn't have to do the stuff that we have to do 2,000 years later to a garden. He didn't even have to water it. The garden tended it itself. Easy. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like he had to like trim the hedges or anything. The okay. garden tended itself. So what was Adam doing there? Adam was created as a solution to a pre-existing problem. The focus of what God's doing as a whole is not solely centered on man's sinful nature and our sin problem. Like that's okay. not the thing God's really trying to solve. It's a component of it. But the thing God's trying to solve is a cosmic issue, right? He's trying to bring in the chaos that was created by the rebellion incited by Lucifer and the agencies and parties that decided to cooperate with him and throw creation out of order. He is bringing creation back into proper alignment. And man was created to be the chief officer to help execute that plan. Okay. That's I'm what, tracking. That's what we were here for. That's one of the reasons Lucifer was so pissed off at our creation. Right? Makes the whole sense. idea was that, and we find this by reverse engineering what Jesus did, because Jesus is said to be the second Adam, right? The last Adam. So you can uh -huh. look at what he did and determine through deductive reasoning, he's fulfilling the mandates that Adam had originally. So this must have been what we were originally created for. Okay. If that's the case, it means then that our existence is profoundly important. We're not just here to work every day. We're not just here to make a buck. We're not just here to play games. We literally are here to expand the kingdom of God and to bring about order from the chaos of evil around us. That applies not just to our world, that applies to creation. Remember, scripture says creation groans for the sons of God to be manifest, to take their place, to be revealed. Creation, not just planet Earth. See, we have this reductionist view that I was talking about before. Uh huh. We don't think of things in their, in their wider scope. When we're talking about creation, it's not just here on this planet. It's everything that God created. We were designed to help bring that back into proper alignment. Why do you think we have the level of warfare that we have to deal with? Why do you think there's so much attack on us? Here's the other crazy thing. You and I have discussed from time to time, why doesn't Satan just wipe out all of humanity since he hates him so much? Yeah. The reality is he can't. He, on one sense, in one sense, humanity is protected 
you know, the Holy Spirit's not allowing humanity to be wiped out. In another sense, Satan needs humanity because of the unique nature of what we hold as stewards of the planet and what we have access to. One of the things we were designed to do was to actually command the elements. See, Psalms tells us, we literally, Psalms speaks to the stars and says, worship God, all you, you stars, you sun and you moon. Huh. All right, that's just something I would read over and be like, yep, okay, that's nice language. I don't really care. Right. Why are you talking to the sun? Why are you talking to the moon and why are you talking to the stars? Those are celestial elements. Interesting. Remember, Christ t- talked about the rocks would cry out if we don't. That's yeah. earth. Yeah. How how okay. how how is how how are rocks crying out? I don't get it. Huh. The kingdoms of the elemental realm were created to heat to to assist man in our efforts. And right now they are out of whack because of the cosmic problem combined or compounded with our sin problem. And the fact that now creation has been thrown into chaos. Interesting. Because of that, Satan needs man for his access to certain things, including the elemental realm. This is why witchcraft works. You have human beings interacting with these realms to cast spells. Huh. And what is happening is they are being victimized and they are being utilized for their access. They think they're getting additional powers, but really what's happening is the, the, the true nature of why we were created is being exploited in order to achieve the works of evil. Interesting. Now get this, bro. We've talked about why the kingdom of darkness seems to, to advance, right? Mm -hmm. It appears to me, that the only ground that the kingdom of darkness gets is the ground that the children of God give up. Okay. That is scary. It is scary. If we had maintained this information, if we had executed it, there wouldn't be elemental kingdoms that could work with the kingdom of darkness. Huh. But because, you know, fundamentalist movement, if this doesn't have anything to do directly with me being saved, you know, me movement and and my sin issue and all of that, then it's not important. Mm -hmm. That leaves a whole lot on the table. A lot. Yeah. Now, what do we see? We see people who are financed by the 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 uh, Rothschild banking cartel, but even more directly, they are financed through. Kabbalists, Sabbatanian Frankist, right? Who are occultists. So we have occultists financing the world and through their financing, they are buying up access and interface points with these realms. And they are able to institute a measure of control. Now, right now, a lot of that control is through technological means. And we're, we're being, in my opinion, slowly conditioned to accept a much greater uh, deception because when the judgments of God start, you're going to need to be able to explain them away. Okay. 
Oh, you mean that there was an earthquake over here, the rocks? Well, oh, man, we've been doing earthquakes and causing that a long time ago. Interesting. Okay. Oh, you mean fire fell from the sky? Yeah, we, we've been doing that. In the meantime, that solves a couple, that solves various agendas. It reduces the population, right? Uh-huh. It produces fear in people, which makes them more controllable. It also explains away the necessity or existence of God. You don't need a God for this. We can do this. Right. In the meantime, as that's happening and those are being used as control points for the populace, behind the scenes, occultists are getting more and more skilled at being able to manipulate weather and being able to manipulate elements that they can become proficient at turning them into weapons because eventually all of creation is going from the earth standpoint is going to fight against the creator and you need all hands on deck. All kids. <laughs> okay. We haven't man. even touched man on how these various kingdoms interplay with human affairs. Like the, like the Marine kingdom, the water right. kingdom. It has huge, huge effects on what happens on land. And they've documented this. I mean, people have gone on record saying, listen, I used to be a part of this. Jesus had to rescue me out of it. But extreme levels of witchcraft, things that to the Western mind sound complete hokum. Mm -hmm. Complete. Like, there's no way you're going to ever convince me that this is real. Right. But I'm like, if you step into that spiritual world, where do you get to draw a line as to what's real and what's not? Right. If you are conditioned to accept only Newtonian physics, then things that extend beyond Newtonian physics, like quantum level physics, will not make sense to you. That doesn't mean quantum physics aren't real. It's okay. just beyond your concept because you've been conditioned to accept a reductionist view. That applies to our theological outlook. Like, this is huge stuff to me. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And when we're asking, you know, is this important? Yes, it's important because this dictates how we we interact with our reality. And that to me is fundamental. You know, elemental warfare is, is a product of the satanic control matrix. We understand that they're conditioning us through demonically influenced education to accept these various lies, things like climate change being real. Fires being only the byproduct of natural conditions like lightning strikes, you know, inclement weather just being the result of what happens. Uh, you know, you, you live you live in a fallen world. Sidebar, you know, if some people that might dismiss this and say, hey, I don't know if that's a government thing. I mean, you know, bad stuff happens. We live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Where does that line of fallenness begin and end at? Is it just. On the earthly side, just natural things, or does the fallen nature apply to other aspects of reality that exist, other kingdoms, other realms? Huh. Is the elemental realm fallen? I have to say probably, yeah. Then when we talk about we live in a fallen world, you're like, yeah, you do. It just doesn't restrict itself to the earth alone, to the physical realm for what you can see, you'd have to account for the invisible realm, the unseen realm. It applies to that as well. 
All right. of chaos right. is, is, is in turmoil right now. You know, so we, again, are being indoctrinated to accept things like, you know, the need for purchasing water and land grabs that they're committing against, against us are simply the result and response of, of global warming. When we try to search out for ourselves, we're met with this satanic brainwashing. You know, we immediately encounter this false reality overlay. Nothing mm-hmm. to see here. This is not what's happening. This is purely <laughs> the result of physics and mechanics, Coriolis effect, El Nino, solar winds. We can exploit all of this away. Nothing about this. I know you went back to Chris Farley. Nothing did, about <laughs> this is, is spiritual in nature. You know, and then we're, we're, we're conveniently forget that we're dealing with a corporately owned news media that tells big lies and repeats them on the 24 hour cycle. You know, the mm-hmm. washing of the internet to make things that we thought we saw nearly vanish. It's almost enough to make you go insane. It is. It's and bad. All of it is for global control to reinstitute the world order that God took judgment on years ago, way back in Genesis. They want this world order so that they can completely terraform our mental and emotional and elemental landscapes in order to pave the way for who they think is their Messiah. But it's truly the false Messiah, the Antichrist. And here's the thing that that just blows my mind. All this stuff that we're talking about. There are still people that don't think it's true. There are still people that think we're improving. Our standard of living is increasing. (laughs) <laughs> We're doing better. We're moving along in a positive rate down along the chronological scale. And this whole war stuff that you're talking about, this is rubbish. We are right around the corner from our next technological breakthrough. Those people blow my mind because they don't want to accept the reality of really where they are. They think they're safe, but the reality is you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Obey the rules. The rules of engagement. Rule number one, educate yourself. First thing, you've got to know your war doctrine. You've got to know what the Bible says about these things. So scripture tells us that seed time and harvest will not stop. This is crazy to me. This, this, this is crazy and it's kind of exciting because it's one of those things that ties to the very, very real present, right? Mm-hmm. So just after the flood and Noah makes an offering to the Lord, we find in Genesis 8, 20 through 22, the Lord said to himself, <clears throat> I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night will not cease. So this is pretty crazy, right? Yeah. This means, But this means that the attempts to distort the weather and negatively impact the earth, those things are set in direct opposition to what God said will not happen. Exactly. It also means so some for of those cr- dystopian views that we get like, asteroid strikes and the stuff that's going to take out the planet. If you have right, an it's asteroid not happen. strike, right, it, it would stop the seed time and harvest that God's talking about. Right, right. The, the, apparently, according to NASA, the thing would blow up, right? 
the right. whole planet, we'd be done. I mean, not according to NASA, but at least Hollywood. It's all right. we see. You know, if there's going to be a super volcano eruption that's going to block out the sun or nuclear winter, that would stop uh-huh. the stuff we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So as Christians, I think we can take this word, you know, being the word of God and fall back on it um, to rest assured that, that it's not going to happen, right? No amount of human involvement. Climate change isn't going to ruin the world. You know, all of those things. But it How, may, not climate change, but some of these acts of man may reduce. Yes. Yes. It doesn't mean that there's not, right. It doesn't mean there's not going to be famine or whatever, and it can be reduced, but the entire world is not going to end by that means. Exactly. But if you're not a Christian, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of God's judgment on this one and him putting his foot down like, this is where it stops because this is not going to happen. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, dude, just as a sidebar, though. I, 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 yeah. <sighs> Recently, uh, you were talking about, well, I, I used the wrong word here. You were just talking about God putting his foot down. And that sparked uh, a thought in me, a reminder about something that I looked at this week, which talked about, I believe, uh, governments have, in the World Economic Forum and others have met in order to readjust their timetable and to move up 2030 goals to 2025. Yes. Yes. And that like the Russell Brandt stuff is, is to mask what's actually going on. Exactly. Now pairing that with the testimony that we heard uh, a few weeks ago on one of the, I believe it was blurry creatures. Uh, Okay. If it wasn't blurry creatures, then it had to be a Dan Duvall. It was it was the lady Jess who was coming out of the Mothers of Darkness. Yeah, Dan Duvall had her on a couple times, and then also another podcast. Okay, whose name is escaping me right now? Okay, the maybe it was the Dan Duvall one, but but however, she talked about in their training for those who aren't familiar, Mothers of Darkness is a high level. Um, satanic tier of leadership within the occult that controls global affairs. But why they had people coming up through the ranks that were getting trained uh, in that order. One of these people talked about how children who were identified as being gifted would actually be paired up together, especially those who were gifted in the ability to see events in the future. And yes. one of the things that she stated was that there was a block on what they could see that didn't extend past like 2025. Okay. Yeah. So I find it very interesting that while there apparently spiritually, there appears to be not just a blockade, but almost um, a fixed point where none of these things can be changed around 2025 and at the same time you have the occult governments of the world changing their timetable to bring forward their agenda by five years to match 2025 that's fascinating like they might not have until 2020 or 2030 they might not. Right. Is that, I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. We don't know. So we got to do it now. That, that's or, interesting. That or God has put a, a, a marker down, like an immovable event 
that no matter what human beings do, this is fixed. This is a fixed point in time. And this uh-huh. may be one of those things that kicks off events. Huh. Like revelation level events. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a time setter or date setter or anything like that. I'm just saying this is right. the stuff that, that we're getting reports on. And you talked about God putting his foot down. What if 2025 is one of those, he's put his foot down. Events will go forward as I have planned, despite what things you do to try to thwart them. That's interesting. I've got my good, perfect, and pleasing will. Now, I've tolerated this for, for a certain amount of time, but there are things happening that you won't be able to change through through your witchcraft, through your antics. Right. Huh. It's a very, That's very crazy. sobering idea. It is. We know that in 2016, the timetable was adjusted. Right. Don't know about And even 20. if it isn't like a... Right. And even if it isn't a, a cataclysmic event, the fact that he's put a, a veil, right? Mm-hmm. That you can't see past this point. You can't know what's going on past this point. It's pretty exciting. It, it, it and pretty is. interesting. It's uh, For me, it's very sobering because, you know, I, I see a lot of things on the horizon. You know, we've talked about the the coming economic collapse, right? We've talked about the things that are happening with the dollar bill. Even if that stuff is put off, it, just to see what's being lined up is uh-huh. is sobering. And I don't want to say like it shouldn't cause you to necessarily be afraid if your confidence and trust is in Jesus Christ, but an awareness of we're not going to be able, excuse me, we're not going to be able to float much longer. You know, we're already sitting right. in an economic system that has more debt than we could ever repay. And the purpose of the debt that we are incurring is to crash the system. That's mm-hmm. what they want. They Maximum debt. They want to reallocate resources, own everything, make sure that the people have gotten everything stolen from them that can be stolen. And then you crash the system. Interesting. We yeah. have to be alert and aware. We have to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and this is where educate yourself becomes so important. You got to educate yourself, like you were saying, in scripture. But then mm-hmm. being aware of what's going on around us so that we're not caught unawares. We're not caught sleep at the switch. Right. Right. Because while that's exactly. going to happen, I guarantee you the standard narrative is going to be things are improving. Hey, inflation's mm-hmm. coming down. We got more jobs heading. We, we're, we're doing better. And then, right. boom, overnight. And while seed while, while time and harvest may not stop, they can be greatly, greatly mitigated and impeded upon. And right. people have gotten, or, or go ahead. purchased and occupied to where they, they're happening, but we don't have access Exactly. Exactly what I mean. Yeah. And right. the people have got it now like, uh, what do we do? Now's the time really to prepare. Yeah. And again, not fear, but a heightened sense of things and awareness of what's actually going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was excellent. Thanks, man. Scripture warns us that there are elemental spirits in the world. Colossians 2 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So I think it's interesting that it's human tradition and 
elemental forces, that they go hand in hand. Like you were saying that, that Satan needs us, needs something that we have. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we should be leery of holidays from this perspective. Uh, but for this episode, the collusion of humans and elemental spirits causes a lot of destruction. And we, we can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. You know, it's funny you say that because we're right around the corner from Halloween. We are. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that's a wonderful example of where this goes hand in hand. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Scripture anticipates the complex systems like the satanic control matrix and the false reality overlay. So John 14, 12 Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I've always liked this one. Okay. I even had ideas of like superhero-esque Christians, Uh like as as a youngster, right? How do you do greater things than the things Jesus did? Like it, it looks like superhero activity. Okay. But... We've talked about the satanic control matrix and how it was a, a direct result of the Christian church, right? The church expanding. Mm-hmm. So is part of the, the greater things that we're going to be doing, dismantling and exposing the satanic control matrix, you know, peeling back the, the false reality so people can see the true battle that's going on? Because this would have been something that didn't necessarily need done when Jesus was around, Right the battle has changed a little bit in in the time since he came because he came. So these greater things that we're up against are the greater things that have been functioning in response to Jesus showing up on the timeline. Well, dude, I think that's such an incredible idea because most people I don't think have that in their paradigm. They don't have that in their mental framework. They're not thinking, Hey, the kingdom of darkness actually does develop things. They do have a technological program. They do release new things. They do respond to a changing environment. Right. And we are 2000 years downwind from when Jesus invaded the timeline, right? They Uh have probably adjusted some things. They've created some new things. There are councils. There are evil councils. There are um, synthetic technologies. There are, hybrid technologies, things that were being put in place now that weren't in place back then. So I think you are absolutely spot on. I think in dealing with those things, that is different than the particular work that Jesus did when he came to the planet. Now, the funny thing is, even if we're doing quote unquote greater works, we're doing them with the enablement of Jesus there. So he's still doing those things too. Right. But somehow people figure Jesus work stopped after he, you know, off the cross. And especially when he left, and ascended. So he, what is he doing? We don't know. He's off the playing field. So now it's just us, <laughs> the coach to the left. I'm like, that's, right, that's right. not the case. The coach is still here. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you're, you're absolutely uh-huh. spot on. Thanks. Thanks. And if we're in a battle, I think we got to know what ground we stand on to know whether or not we, we should give it up. I, I think this leads right into rule number two precisely man you you cannot give up any ground to your enemy but that is so hard to do in today's day and age because we're dealing with an enemy that has mastered the art of stealth how do you fight an enemy that you a don't know is there b cannot see and i don't want to say c after c but but c (laughs) 
is adept at evading your your detection. You have to use something that is guaranteed to reveal it. And that's where you use scripture. Scripture allows you to identify your enemy. This ends when we are willing to take scripture at face value and take it seriously, take its offering and its solution seriously, and we enact the biblical counteroffensive strike package that God has given us. We expose, we oppose, and we depose the works of the enemy. Ephesians 5.11 gives us the authorization. You don't have any fellowship with the works of darkness, but you expose them. They are operating in stealth mode behind the scenes. So you shine the light of Christ and scripture on them. When you do, James 5.7 gives you the authorization to use the authority of scripture to resist the devil. And you don't just resist back and forth. No, you fight. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells you you demolish every argument Every pretension that sets itself up against what God has said is true and keeps people from knowing him. You want to fight that enemy? You use those three steps. That's how we keep ground and we don't give it back to the enemy. But in order to do that, you've got to follow the third rule. You pray like it's all up to God, but you work like it's all up to you. Christopher, what are some things that people could pray for? Well, one, I think that we can pray against the elemental spirits and the contracts that they have with humanity. Now, we should be cautious not to go into any spiritual fights that God hasn't called us to, right? Exactly. But if they start swinging on us first, all bets are off. I like that. Right? I like that. Thanks. Uh, I think we should pray that God reveals to us where and how these things are happening so we can adequately address the forces at work and the victims of their assaults. Okay. Um, three, I think we should pray for peace. The The Bible tells us that we should pray for peace with the government. So we should pray for peace and as much time as possible to prepare for the the pushback before it's too late. I like that. I like what you said earlier, man. We pray against elemental spirits and the contracts that they have with humanity. Yes. I think that's keen because there is contractual agreement that happens. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, again, here in the West, under a, a very reductionist view, I think that we imagine that just because a person gets saved, somehow everything in their life is like reset and they are good. 
They're golden. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like starting a new grading period. Solid A's, everything we forgot about before, don't even worry about it. Right. And that is not the way that the spiritual world works. Uh -uh. There are contractual agreements. There are there are legally binding documents that hold people yes. in bondage. In fact, when you start looking at reports that are coming from these frontline uh, frontline resources, they identify the fact that oftentimes you have to specifically address various areas of captivity within a person's life various issues that have come up. It's not just a one and done issue. And you right. have to apply the finished work of Jesus Christ to it. You have to annul contracts. Yeah. You have to deal with bloodline curses. You have to mm -hmm. deal with spiritual technology, synthetic biology, you know, synthetic spirits, evil counsels. There's a number of different things that, that we have to address in the spiritual world in order to gain a person's complete freedom. Right. Not to mention the parts within the heart realm that are under satanic control, even though they've submitted their life to Jesus. It's like an expansive kingdom takeover various mm -hmm. parts of our lives that were just under darkness. So we have to literally make Jesus Lord of those areas. That stuff takes, takes some effort. It does. You know, especially when there's parts of us that are broken, that are that are not healed, that we don't want Jesus to be Lord over. Parts uh -huh. where we enjoy <laughs> the contractual agreement. You know, yep. you, you give me this and uh, I mean, I'll give you a piece of that. We're fine. It's been working out pretty well. I mean, I, I like Jesus and all. Don't get me wrong. But this thing over here, I mean, we're going to keep what we got going. Right. And Jesus is like, no, I have to be Lord over your entire life. Every aspect, every corner. Mm -hmm. Even the back parts yeah. of the corners yeah. that you don't want me at. Right. What were you gonna I say? I think I think you mentioned you you mentioned the fundamental the, the fundamentalist movement of mm -hmm. the nineteen twenties earlier. I think this this weird idea, this this um, myopic view of salvation comes from that, right? That yeah. like that, that once you're saved, that's all it was about. And that's all it's ever going to be about. And all these other things that, that tear us down, that trip us up, that confuse us, that, that have a, a stronghold on us, all that got brushed under the rug. And as we're coming out of that, we have to realize that it's not that we're introducing new ideas. We're introducing ideas that got covered up from a, from a exactly. particular movement. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a, a excellent point because it is very much so like scripture said, it's the suppression of truth that we're yes. really dealing with. Not that truth didn't exist on this topic. You know, I think that um, right. Bright Ministries, again, is a great place to go to find prayer resources on this because people can be tied in to different things, even including earth systems. You know, we, right. we've talked about on, on prior shows, the fact that the earth is a realm and what that means, the, the significance of that. Well, with that, you can have anchor points into those realms that keep you in bondage. Mm -hmm. and that includes different parts of the elemental kingdom, depending on your history. You know, maybe right. living next to, just as an example, living next to bodies of water in which marine spirits are operating in your city. They can put you under various levels of bondage. So there are ways mm -hmm. to break free from that. You know, having certain things that have happened within uh, different parts of the planet, 
people who are trafficked to different parts of the planet. Right. You know, like we, we haven't really touched on some of those more fringe things. By the way, that's something I want to start doing more so here. I've been playing okay. it safe to a fair degree on what we talk about. You know, I love doing the show with you, but this show grew out of, well, number one, God telling us to do it, but it also grew out of our private conversations. Right. And our conversations, they're, they're a safe place for us to explore a lot of things. Uh-huh. And we tried to bring that to the show, but when you start broadcasting stuff and you make it available to the public, sometimes it takes on a different turn. You're like, ah, I don't know if I want to touch that. And there are a lot of things I can uh-huh. talk about with you, believe it or not, that I don't discuss on the show. Right. And I think that we probably need to move a little bit more into, into diving into those, those topics in those areas, even though they will feel a bit more fringe to people because somebody's got to have that discussion, right? Right. Somebody's got to be willing to talk about it. And I think there are people that really want to hear about it. All right, let's do it. Awesome. That being said, you know, there are people that are trafficked to different parts of the planet. There are people that that are put in bondage and, you know, satanic rituals in different places. And those, those moments and those actual physical locations can provide anchor points into the soul. That people, you know, create bondage that people don't get free from just because they've made Jesus their Lord. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to prayer, we have to avail ourselves to those prayer resources that can actually function as the spiritual technology they are intended to, to counteract the spiritual technology developed by the kingdom of darkness so that we can get yeah. the freedom we need in order to take over our mandate and why we were put on the planet in the first place, which was to cause destruction to the kingdom of darkness. But then that's that good. sounds a lot that like plays, work. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Get Dan Duvall's book, um, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. It's one of the things that you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's a great resource. Read, read He's the got book. Three it's, of them. it's yeah, and they right. They are powerfully constructed prayers. They're not just, dear Father God, please help us, and, and Lord Jesus, I, I hope that and wish that and and ask you for. They are declarative statements based on the powerful Word of God, and they are constructed specifically towards specific targets. Right, and they're wonderful. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. But some other stuff, I think it's important to know where you stand, not not just in the in the spiritual, but the physical too. You know, are you at risk of of losing your land or, or falling victim to weather wars or not having access to water? Like just just because you've had the benefit of being safe up until now doesn't mean it's going to continue. So find out what what what's happening with your resources. Who has access to the the aquifers or where are you getting your water from? Use that the um, uh, that what was it e- EWG site or whatever, yeah. find out what's in your water. Yep. You know, because uh, that's going to help you better prepare if something happens. And, and speaking of water, get a distiller or a reverse osmosis system, which is way more expensive. I've got a distiller. Or one of those purification sticks. Like they make those, the, they make a purification, like a filter that filters out like 99.9% of bacteria. So like, even if you're dealing with like fresh water, like go out to a stream, you can drink it when you run it through. Oh yeah. Like a, like a life straw. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those would be good for um, like saving them for survival. Exactly. But actually filter it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm talking about the water you're drinking now to filter out the PFAS, to filter out the fluoride. That you gotcha. need reverse osmosis or uh, a distillation device. I gotcha. Uh, so yeah, and then you can you know you can have a little bit of water stored up just in case something happens. You know your your water shut off for 24, 48 hours. That that can be an ugly situation if you don't have any stored. Now, as a disclaimer, check your local laws. Make sure that if you're storing water, it's not against local ordinance. Right, right. Good, good catch, bro. We're we're not encouraging. But then also, you to we break can help. Law. Yet, no, we're not. We're not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that look was priceless. Yeah, yeah. If you're curious what the look's about, send us an email. (laughs) (laughs) We'll tell you. Um, but we, I think we should help educate others too. You know, we're not. We're not in this independently. You know, we're a community. It's important to tell people about the salvation of their souls, but not only that, you know, like you're saying, we're commissioned to bring order to a world steeped in chaos. And that means addressing all of the things that we've mentioned on today's show. Exactly. And then you can follow along with so many other people and share the show, man, bro. This has actually been they, crazy. There's, there's been a okay. lot of people that have been jumping on, on board lately. And getting on, yeah, with sh- not yeah. just sharing the show, but even supporting the show, man. It's been wild. Yeah, it's been amazing. We got uh, Grandpa Schizo, Mexican Polo, and Karen all joined up with us. I felt some it's, kind of way when Karen joined. I was like, we officially have a Karen. And then I was like, mm, I've been conditioned by social media. Because as soon as I see that <laughs> word, that name, I'm like, mm, we got a Karen. So, Karen, I apologize. Well, I think it's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's funny because what is it a pseudonym because we got Grandpa Schizo and Mexican Polo these are the first two patrons we've ever had that don't use their real name uh, true at least I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's not their real, na- real name if, if I'm wrong I apologize in advance so it's funny we get Grandpa Schizo Mexican Polo and Karen you know what maybe, <laughs> all, we'll, maybe we'll have Karen talk to Grandpa Schizo and Mexican Polo and get their names right <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe we should work it that way. Uh, that's funny. But no, thank you guys. We we really appreciate it. It means a lot for you jumping on. It does. I was super it, excited to see everybody, you know, joining on this week. It's super encouraging when you guys do that. And, and it really means a lot. So thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And if anybody else wants to jump on the bandwagon and, and help support, uh, we have our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash ORP podcast. Uh, you can get it on the ground level. Our cover fire tier, five bucks a month, gets you all the links and resources we use to put the episodes together and all of the full-length versions of our episodes. You'll always have that through Patreon. And then you can uh, jump in on the second level, our Overwatch tier, become an Overwatch operator for $7 a month, gets you everything in the first tier, as well as access to the actual studio, note, studio notes that we put together and that we're looking at as we go through the episode. And there's almost always extra things we didn't touch on or and things like that. So it's a cool behind-the-scenes part of it. And then if you want as much ORP as possible, bring the rain tier. Be a tier three operator for 10 bucks a month. Everything in the first two tiers plus uh, opportunity to participate with us at a monthly Zoom call. And those are always a good time. They are gangbusters. In fact, they get better the more people <laughs> to join. 
This is one of the reasons we want more right. folk on. I mean, it's really cool to hear what stuff is important to you guys and what stuff, you know, we end up talking about on a monthly basis. Like, it's it's crazy. Right. In fact, the, the last one that we did um, in the midst of conversation caused me to reconstruct my previously held position on um, the the spirits of the dead functioning on this plane of existence. So it's really, it, it's a crazy time. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't fantastic. there for that moment. I know you seem so surprised. I was like, I was flabbergasted in the moment. How, how could you not remember? <laughs> so much has happened between now and then. Yeah. It's, it's really been a lot. It's been a lot. That's funny. But here's the last thing that you can do is remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is that we are never alone and we are not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving God who intervenes on our behalf. Because one day we won't be left open to the nefarious works of evil entities. One day we will be free from the manipulation of the created order. One day we will rest under the shelter of the almighty God. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on our combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me, you take fire, we expect you to give fire. No need you keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, you stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4.